I believe very strongly in the power of God and the power of, of the human soul. Uh, I also believe that they're unknowable. Um, but the film, The Exorcist, is primarily about the mystery of faith, the mystery of goodness, that mystery which is uh, just inexplicable, but it's there, and you believe. And we know that, that a lot of incredible things have occurred in human history simply because of belief, simply because people have believed that it was possible. Hello, welcome to the Extra Credits of The Exorcist. I'm Trey. And I'm Kelsey. Today we are going to be talking a little bit about the newest Exorcist film, 2023's The Exorcist Believer from David Gordon Green and Blumhouse. And then we are going to go to The Exorcist, 1973, William Freakin, William Peter Blatty's masterpiece for the rest of this podcast today. Is it a masterpiece? I don't know. We can talk about whether it is or not. It's a flawed masterpiece. Yeah. I'll say that no, at the top. No, I mean, I love, I love the movie. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, lo- this is a, like a strange episode because yeah. we're going to talk maybe for like I don't even know, 20-ish minutes about Exorcist Believer, which I haven't seen. So you can just go ahead and spoil it for <laughs> I've me because yeah. I don't think I'm going to see it. Yeah. Um, but then I am really, really excited to do our deep dive. And we're going to do kind of like a live commentary. We're going to watch the movie and talk about it as we watch it. So it'll be kind of like a deep dive of the text I guess as we're watching, I'm yeah. really pumped. I mean, it also gives everybody the option to be able to watch it with us at home. Oh, which that's is cool. true. Yeah. yeah. yeah you I don't have to, you though. To. We're just going to be like conversational and talking about the film. We actually went on Cinemathology, which is a podcast. We'll put it in the description to do a deep dive on The Exorcist uh, with Raymond and Austin over there on their show. And that yeah. was a great time. It was a lot of fun. We like, di- like we like dived right into the religious subtext yeah. of the movie. <laughs> Um, so we were like, you know what? We already talked about it on another pod, but even if people listened to that and, and went over to Cinemathology to listen to our conversation, mm-hmm. we didn't really talk a lot about the plot. And I, I personally like think this uh, movie is like fascinating within the details. And so we're like, let's put out a surprise Exorcist episode for our listeners. It's October. Yeah, it's spooky season. I um, how do how do we how do we do this? Because I don't know if I even should recommend The Exorcist okay. Believer. Like, I recommend everybody stay for this Exorcist conversation about William Freakin, rest in peace, and, like, what this movie is about textually and then subtextually, which is kind of the same thing in the original Exorcist. But in talking about The Exorcist Believer, this new 2023 film, I find I don't have a fully developed feeling on how this movie actually, if it works or not. Okay. Yeah. So I, I'm going to struggle a little bit okay, wait, <laughs> in the so, first 10 minutes of today's so episode because Kelsey has not seen it. Trey just got um, home from the theater yeah. and I just got home from class. Did you like it? I mean, you said it's, it's complicated, uh, but... No, I, I didn't. I didn't like it. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's a part of me that admired it, but the part of me that admired it was like a stunted, like young uh, faux Christian Trey who what? was like... <laughs> Like a 14-year-old like goes to youth group and sometimes goes to church to like meet girls and also to appease his family kind of tray. Oh, okay. uh, 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 A a tray I've never known. Yes. Like 
I don't know. We'll, we'll get into it in a second, I guess. But I, <laughs> yeah. I guess I do want to set it up that David Gordon Green is uh, is the director and co-writer of The Exorcist Believer, a film that's in theaters as of today. Um, a movie that I just saw on opening night with five people in my Alamo Draft House theater, which was really <laughs> Not surprising. A good sign. A terrible sign. It's October. Yeah, I don't know how that happened because this night. is a a Jason Blum Blumhouse production. They are signed on to do potentially a trilogy for this legacy sequel trilogy, and this is the first movie of a trilogy that I don't know if will will get made because this hmm. movie yeah. is okay enough, but it's not good enough, I think, to make enough money to be able to, I guess, finance a trilogy, Was which it is pretty wild. At least scary. Uh, n- no, I, I think this is like <laughs> I think it's going to be a part of the conversation today. Like I. I, I don't know. I'm just so surprised that the Exorcist Believer is more interested in its IP than creating an original mm. story because I really, I kind of bought into the David Gordon Green conversation around the film when it first came out a few years ago that he was going to make uh, a legacy sequel to the original Exorcist when he was talking about how he didn't want to use that kind of conservative, organized religion mm-hmm. through line of the original film. He wanted to go to a more community-based approach maybe even more of a kind of commentary that is about community religion versus organized institutional religion, which I thought was okay. fascinating. I mean, we're atheists. like So, I mean, I, of course, respected that, though I don't completely connect to that idea. But I at least admired like him trying to do something different with this IP. But then seeing the movie, I felt it was more trying. It almost felt like an insecure exorcist film. Huh. It was a lot I had to live up to. Okay. Um, and we can get into that. I, I should start off by saying I had probably the hardest teaching day of, of my career today, I think. So I went into this film <laughs> at oh, like no. six o'clock this, this evening and was just kind of uh, already in this weird state of uh, just kind of gazing into, into the abyss. <laughs> and then, so like this horror movie starting and like kind of waking me up actually did help because today was so rough, uh, but it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. I, I guess I'll start off. Should I start off with the pros? I'll start off with the pros because yeah, I sure, feel like okay. I, I don't want to be too negative about it. I do think it's always interesting to see when directors are taking shots with their favorite IP and David Gordon Green one of his favorite movies of all time is The Exorcist it's a film that inspired him to become a filmmaker he came from a deeply religious background he wasn't allowed to watch the film and so he had to like sneak around as a child and preteen to watch the movie in the first place so for him to make this I'm sure is a dream it would be like me being able to make an alien film or something I don't know what to compare it to but (laughs) that's that's the way I was reading this Uh, so I'm happy he got to make it and a few of the pros that that stood out immediately was the lead performance from Leslie Odom Jr., which I thought was in, incredible, actually, in certain moments. Like, mm. he did as much as he could to try to keep this movie together, and I don't think the performances around him worked completely because the movie takes place in this suburb of Georgia. They're really trying to capture this, this kind of, like, modernism versus traditionalism uh, aesthetic and also character piece that the original Exorcist tried to do too with Chris's family being like this kind of like atheist feminist yeah. Hollywood family huh. um, and they're trying to capture that too with Leslie Odom Jr. doing this kind of like single uh, black father atheist family in the suburb of a still kind of like deeply religious devout community of Georgia and um, did it look like the conjuring house it looked so the house, that's a really, that was a, a good point to bring up because the house is not memorable. It's just a suburb house, but it's like a rural suburb and it felt like a poor 
prisoners aesthetic. I mean, we just did a prisoners mm-hmm. episode. Maybe that's in the back of my mind. But they tried to capture this kind of like uh, decaying suburb in the rural parts of Georgia that just didn't completely work considering the community seemed pretty affluent. And it was like almost like a middle class slash upper middle class community. So the kind of like socioeconomic elements of the movie were pretty confusing. But I, I did really love the father-daughter dynamic of Leslie Odom Jr., uh, him and his daughter are kind of the the main characters of the film. Although, Kelsey, in this Exorcist film and Believer, the main difference between uh, uh, the one daughter of the original Exorcist movie mm-hmm. and then in this film, there are two daughters that are uh, that are going through exorcisms. Okay. So in the in the yeah, newest I, film, I saw the trailer. Okay, I didn't yeah. know if you did or not. I yeah. remember. Yeah, everyone laughed after like every time we saw the trailer. <laughs> I was like, "That's not so a great sign." It is, and, and just to tell everybody, I'm not going to do any major spoilers on this film because I do think a lot of people are still going to want to see it if you're into The Exorcist. Okay. So in the timestamps, like if you just don't want to hear any, I'm not I'm not spoiling it. But if you don't want to hear anything about it, you can just skip to our our you know conversation, our deep dive on the original Exorcist film today. But I will say that this movie is about two girls who are friends and go on kind of an interesting spiritual journey that you never get to really see. They disappear for a few days okay. and the parents are looking for them. It turns into like a, a prisoner situation, literally. Yeah. And then the girls show That's up. so weird. We just did prisoners like yesterday. I know. <laughs> and it turns out that both these girls... You know, they do a whole hospital scene that's not effective, unfortunately. But okay. it turns out the two girls who are who are best friends uh, don't actually remember what happened the past three days. And the movie alludes to the fact that maybe they were walking through hell because the only parts mm. of their bodies that uh, that seemed like they were outdoors were their feet, which are just completely like cut up and bruised and bloody and like the rest of their bodies are fine. And that except mentally and psychologically, they're obviously like really messed up. And the movie takes off from there, but we really never see what happens to them. And that, that was kind of confusing. And it, it really felt like they were setting some things up that could be in future movies and future sequels, mm, okay. which was odd. But just to, again, just context with these girls, the one white girl and then the one black girl, that's kind of how they set up. Like this is the the modernism versus the traditionalism that is not very effective. I don't know about the racial politics of this movie either. That's a whole other conversation. But they do this thing where the one white girl is a part of this upper middle class family who are part of like this evangelical community and the girl is like this youth group leader versus the uh young black girl who's the daughter of leslie odom jr's character who lost her mom when she was younger and uh that is also a confusing like abortion commentary that i'm not going to get into either because that's uh-uh. like really complicated okay. but they uh the daughter seems to be atheist because the father is questioning spirituality's existence because he's gone through his own journey and so they're just kind of disconnected they're not agnostic if anything the father seems to like kind of hate the idea of organized religion throughout the film to kind of an extreme extent where he seemed like such a logical and rational person that you know like obviously like we've said multiple times we're atheists some of our best friends are deep deeply religious and like the way he talked about religion is just not the way that I hear atheist people who it was are just like a charge, rational like talk. Yeah, incredibly of an charged. Okay. Yeah. And so that was kind of uh kind of confusing. Um, but yeah, they try to just kind of juxtapose this, you know, devout religious girl who's in charge of a youth group to be able to be best friends with this atheist girl who comes from a family, a one father household family. So 
Wait, and these are the the like little girls that you're these talking are the little about? girls. She's in yeah. charge of a youth group. She's like five. I well, they said something like that. Okay. No, she's thirteen, by the way. Oh, so okay. yeah, the, both the girls are thirteen, just like how I think the the young daughter in the nineteen seventy three film is young too. Um, but ultimately, their relationship, their dynamic worked at the beginning of the film, and then Leslie Odom Jr.'s relationship with his daughter really worked. And there were 30 minutes of this movie where I was sitting in the theater being like, I wish Kelsey was here because this is pretty good. And then the mm-hmm. last hour and 15 are just pretty bad, that, ultimately. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. And I guess in terms of what didn't work for me, I just thought the pacing was really bad. There was a lot of kind of form- formulaic supernatural horror beats and jump scare edits and and sound mixing that was really annoying, literally like from quiet moments to somebody like grabbing their keys, but then putting the volume to 12 when someone grabs their keys and it's like, okay guys, come on. Like we've all had a long day, like especially me today, a long work day. I'm like, this is not, if you're going to scare me, scare me appropriately. Like I want it to be deserved, but it wasn't really deserved. Uh, And then they also tried to do this thing where they tried to frame exorcisms because it's being taken place in 2023. I should have mentioned that. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's been, it's been 65 years since the original you know, actual exorcist that yeah. we've seen in, you know, Freakin's movie. It's been not, sorry, not yeah. 65 years, 50 years. And, uh, and I, I don't know. They try to frame the past 50 years as, the, as if there's been a lot more exorcisms across the world. Okay. So exorcisms aren't as, uh, as wild as they are as a concept in 1973 with the way Karis treats them, if that makes sense in the film. And so they talk about, in the newest exorcist film, Believer, they talk about how every monotheistic faith has gone through exorcisms, uh, especially in the last 50 years. And they don't actually mention, I believe they don't mention Pazuzu's name, but they do mention that like there's been Islamic exorcisms, there's been Zoroastrianism exorcisms. And I'm like, okay, they're just like saying that every monotheistic faith has gone through exorcisms. But what was fascinating and something that I was let down on was I thought they were going to mention the whole Mesopotamian like demon thing, the yeah. Babylonian, like from the beginning of he, this exorcist, the first 10 minutes of the original exorcist movie that are some of the best parts of the original film that we're about to get into in a second. They didn't mention any of that. There mm-hmm. was no kind of like a rock, like symbolism or kind of like Mesopotamian. Like symbolism. going back to the original movie that it's supposed to be kind yeah. of like stemming from. Yeah. They do take you to Haiti at like one point at the beginning of the film, but it like is not well done. Cause that they, they they take you back to Haiti where there was like a, an actual earthquake that happened in real life in like t- 2010 that they kind of like appropriate like a real life disaster to make it work in the film thematically, but it doesn't fully work and complicates itself. And that's like, again, a whole other conversation for like a spoiler episode that we're not going to do. So, so I just felt like the movie was weirdly like felt w- well intended, but was so messy and it felt so insecure of having to do something original with this IP that it was kind of afraid of. That's so disappointing. Yeah. Do you think that, so you said there are other exorcists like yeah. um, in, in the world from that it seems point. like it. Yeah. What if like second movie in the franchise, if it gets made, the conjuring also like merges with the exorcist, like Lorraine and Ed, like Warren, yeah, their last name, yeah, they yeah, just yeah. Show up. Do you want to talk about your experience with the conjuring real quick? Because the conjuring of 2013 is it 2013? What year did that come out? The conjuring is kind of like a our 21st century exorcist that no one else has lived up to yet. James it is Wan's 2013, yeah. yeah, 2013, yeah. So, I um, so I actually hadn't seen the original exorcist, the 73 uh, one Until that like we're about to do a few months today. ago, until a few months ago when we were prepping to do 
the cinemathology pod. Yeah. And then I had seen a lot of different parts of the conjuring, um, but hadn't seen the movie in full until last night. And <laughs> it was a wild experience because I had never seen the like exorcist part of the conjuring. Like I didn't even know the last like 35 minutes. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even like know that that was a piece of it. I just had always like seen the haunting of of the house and like had been out on it for for whatever reason like when there's like a ghost or a demon story now i'm mm-hmm. just like not affected i i don't know what's up like it's i've i've told listeners maybe something like broken me i am just not affected no i get it that. is very different than like stranger invasion stories that mm-hmm. is a whole different game that i cannot deal with Um, Did did you like the haunted house aspects of the conjuring where there's like clapping and there's like hide and seek going on throughout the movie more than the exorcism part of the last 30 minutes more than so wait more than so I feel like last part of exorcism 73 no I'm sorry so the conjuring film which we just watched last night okay just to be very clear Kelsey just saw for the first time I've seen it many times I saw in the theater so anybody who's seen the claps happen in theater you know how frightening that was or the the young demon on top of the the dresser wild uh (laughs) young demon uh but uh what i was asking was the conjuring is like interestingly sometimes a spoof like a scooby-doo exorcist movie yeah um but (laughs) but the first half of the film is kind of like a haunted house film but the last half of the film is kind of like an exorcist parody so what i was asking was like really which one is more effective for you the, fir- the exorcist or the conjuring that's what you're asking no in the conjuring <laughs> film the first half asking? of the movie <laughs> oh god it's been a long day i guess the oh, yeah. first By the half way, of the- it's also like like 10 t- o'clock at night yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is way that's like past our bedtime the yeah. first <laughs> half of the conjuring film okay is like a haunted house film yes the last <laughs> half of the conjuring film is like an exorcist yes. film, but not the exorcist like william freakin's exorcist just yeah. like a supernatural religious horror film yeah i got yeah, that so <laughs> so which half of the which half of the conjuring did you like oh i thought you were asking me in comparison to no i would never exor- ask you about oh the, you the were saying the, the exorcist part of the conjuring yes okay yeah sorry <laughs> now we're clear we can just say the so, religious part of the conjuring yeah, yeah okay so i oh that's such a great question i think the first half is i think so too is best for me yeah. i think the the kind of like haunting the mom really carries it with like the clapping obviously is terrifying yeah i think once we start getting into like the witch coming through you know the mom's face and like the really exaggerated obviously like parts of it that feel um a little less grounded like i mean obviously you know not there's not necessarily grounded pieces of a a ghost like or or whatever demon clapping in your closet and like knocking all your family pictures off the wall but there is something but it was really well made in the first part of it it. yeah it's like you know you hear a bump in the night and like what was that was it just a tree outside or was it something else like that that kind of like and they were doing realistic things like the daughter hitting her head on the on the wall or something like that or the the dresser yeah like Like, those are things that happen in people's houses in everyday life so like that was freaky yeah i thought it was more effective it was scarier um obviously like the kind of like uh, oh like you know th- that was the the smell it's just a new house or whatever like yeah. all those things kind of building up it just felt a little bit more you know spooky grounded mm-hmm. and then when we get to that mid part i love how you called it a scooby-doo film um it feels like that when they're trying to capture yeah pictures it's great and it, then the exorcist like part of it i'm just like okay like this is 
this is full exorcism time. I'm, uh, I don't yeah. know. I, it was intense, but I wasn't like scared. Well, Patrick Wilson as Ed Warren in that film, I forgot how much of like coach Taylor Friday night lights he was doing he was throughout the whole movie. So much like captain America energy. Yeah, that's true. You did mention that. And it is funny how he was just like acting kind of stoic. And, and you joked about how the bureaucracy of the church like was kind of like a hilarious <laughs> point save, of that movie. We should, we should do conjuring one day. I mean, it's the 10 year anniversary of the conjuring right now. So like, it's a funny oh, really? time to talk about it. This is gonna be a three part podcast. <laughs> the exorcist <laughs> believer, the conjuring, and then the 1973 exorcist film. Um, yeah, I don't know where we were with that. Okay, but so I was, we were talking about believer yeah. before we get into the 73 so, deep dive. Wait, but, but so you said that you didn't like it. Okay. Yeah. You I, said that the pacing was weird it wasn't so, really scary, but uh-huh. then you said that you you I, connected to it when you were a young churchgoer. Yeah, so I think there is something <laughs> about this movie's uh, through line that's a little bit Exorcist Believer 2023. There's okay. something about this movie's through line that is a little bit too sentimental, but in the ways it's sentimental about religion uh, hit me because it was about different denominations of religion coming together. Okay. And even atheists working within that, though I do think that that's like kind of a a little bit condescending. I think it was more like agnostic figures coming together, and I re- I respected that as a choice because at one point in the film, this is not a major spoiler, but organized religion becomes like a second tier antagonist, hmm. which I thought was kind of sick because hmm. that felt like a slap in the face a little bit to the right wing propaganda. Like I when I say right wing, I mean like kind of like organized religion being weaponized right-wing mm-hmm. propaganda of the Friedkin film that we're going to get into a little bit today, even though I still think it's like a problematic masterpiece. And I think this 2023 film is really trying, it feels like a self-hating like religious film because it's aware of the problematic institution and is trying to show the ways that communities still can rally around something and like um, find connection through uh through religion which i thought which i thought was admirable for an exorcist film but obviously again like as somebody who is not religious uh it doesn't connect to me now as an adult but in my childhood like being kind of connected to that world i the the guilt is something i related to um the uh, guilt of the the guilt of feeling like uh obligated to to be in a community okay because you feel isolated or lonely okay and there is something to this movie of of being deeper than the idea of god or trying to debate that idea and more about like needing community and i and i mm. do think the movie is trying its best to transcend this concept of of god or spirituality and trying to get more to connection that i and maybe I just sound kind of stupid right now. I don't know. It's a it's a long day again. But I I I felt like that was something that I admired about it, though I still thought it was kind of naive. And I don't think it was fully effective or successful because the end of the film kind of still looks at organized religion as something that w- was ultimately helping. Mm-hmm. So I, which is again, I can't say without spoilers why. And then the movie just really unfortunately makes itself kind of messy. And muddles its message because it has this weird, it's not exactly pro-life or not anti-abortion, but it makes too many comments about uh, a woman's life versus her potential child's life. Okay. And it falling more on the child's life uh, to to not, it, it should be more responsible considering where we are in our country right now culturally when it comes to 
woman's bodily autonomy. And it was, it did not feel exactly, it felt like it was appropriating a woman's experience or choice or lack of, but the movie acts like there is a choice of what she is able to do with when, when pregnant. Hmm. And so I think again, without spoiling, I'm trying my best. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're and, not, you're not spoiling it. I don't really know what's, what's going on. But yeah. I get a, I'm and, getting a good, you're doing a good job. I felt like there was a little bit of apologism to a certain type of apolitical, indifferently indifferent religious groups that I felt like was unnecessary. Like that group didn't really need to have a voice in, in theaters today. Um, but anyways, like that, those are like my pros and cons of the movie. If you love the exorcist film, obviously you're going to see it regardless of what I say. I feel complicated about it. I do think people are probably going to, I think there are going to be people who are religious or atheist or agnostic or probably going to relate to my inability to actually like express how confused I was feeling in my feelings mm-hmm. about the community, uh, religious community versus organized religion commentary. Like yeah, okay. because I do think the movie ultimately, like, it feels like it hates itself. Okay. <laughs> and I, and I, and I kind of, <laughs> I just respected that as a vibe because, like, that is what most people who have, who have, um, who have uh, left religion or who have gone through a whole journey of religion ha- have expressed to me in my personal anecdotal life. Okay. Uh, so I respected the kind of transparency there. In terms of Ellen Burstyn, who I was very excited to yeah, see in this film. She returned. When she came on screen, I, legit- I legitimately was like, got teary-eyed. Oh, wow. Uh, it really, she's great. She's still great. I mean, Alice Doesn't Live Here is one of our favorite Scorsese movies. Yeah. And we're going to talk about Scorsese soon. And that's like one of the best. Yeah, we have a draft coming up. I think it's one Scorsese. of the best performances performances I've ever seen in a movie. I think it's that good. Um, Ellen in Burstyn, Alice? Yeah, in Alice. Yeah. And I think she's great in The Exorcist. But I think her character is more interesting than what she's allowed to do as an actual like actor. But in this movie, she has a couple moments where she her pausing and pacing of like through the dialogue is like really felt and... She's only in the movie for like seven minutes. I was just going to ask that. I was like, do they only... It felt like yeah, a Princess Leia situation. And, oh, yeah, no. but that was a different situation because obviously Carrie Fisher passed in real life, so that was just handled differently. But it felt very similarly where it felt like someone was taking this IP yeah. of a character that you have a relationship to, sticking it in a new movie so you feel comfortable, like it was allowed. Though William Freakin just died and like would never have you know, had anything to do with this movie and actively didn't want anything to do with it. Hmm. Whether that matters or not is up to the listeners because it's not like William Freakin was a saint himself. And we'll get into that a little bit today when we start this movie in about a minute or two here. But I just wanted to mention that about Ellen Burstyn. Do not go see this movie if you're just expecting for Burstyn to be in it for 35 minutes because she's not. I was hoping, but maybe naively hoping that she would be. Yeah, I I thought maybe because it was supposed to be like... So I, I also, for context... Um, haven't seen any of the exorcist films except for the first one. And so, but in the like, you know, rollout of this movie, people, um, I guess said, or the, the people who are marketing it said like, you don't need to have seen, uh, any other exorcist movie except for the first one to understand this new one. Cause they're like the trilogy, right. Is stemming off of the original. Yeah. 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 Um, but so because of that, I thought that she would be in it longer, but I like, you know, was skeptical that she would only like be in it for a cameo yeah it was unfortunate it just felt a little bit exploitative um i'm i'm ready to kind of transition but i will okay. say that i i just want to mention that i already talked about david gordon green who's made he's kind of rebooted the legacy franchise of halloween people have mixed feelings on that i've only seen the 2018 one which i believe is the first one i haven't seen the later two i'm a huge john carpenter fan so like obviously i love the original halloween we've covered it through a commentary 
funnily enough, on our show. And eventually we'll do a deep dive on that movie. Mm -hmm. But I do want to mention that Blumhouse... Uh, is has really invested in this in this movie and Universal too. I think they spent over four hundred million dollars on the IP for. Are the they exorcism. doing the franchise? They're trying to do a trilogy of the Exorcism yeah. of the Exorcist. They're trying to make the Believer their first film of a trilogy, and it costs thirty million to make. It's projected to make thirty million this weekend, though. Based on my theater, again, not a good sign. But I want to mention just quickly, Kelsey, because you just I know you don't probably know much about Blumhouse, but I just wanted to throw some of these names at you because it's just crazy how many movies Blumhouse has produced. They they're known as the as the studio that has like put money into low budget films yeah. like and uh, find the most kind of subversive scripts in order to try to get the the best trailers out there the best marketing possible trying their best not to pay any like side actors in the background the periphery of scenes to trying their best <laughs> to put their money into the 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 distribution and marketing and they are also known as kind of like the house that. Paranormal, paranormal activity built like that was their first <laughs> blockbuster paranormal activity but some of the movies that they produced were like the purge uh the invisible man recently insidious sinister the black phone but you know i don't know if you realize this Kels, whiplash damien because damien was also blumhouse was blumhouse because chazelle uh wrote the 19 cloverfield lane script oh yeah yeah apparently i don't think he's actually i don't know if he said that out loud but i think it's been confirmed through other sources and i i i do think that is true okay and uh and so he had a connection there through blumhouse and then also blumhouse produced get out jordan peele's film and i think had a little bit to do with us too his second film um so they've made so many important horror films over the past decade and a half i just wanted to mention that so I was kind of hoping that them investing in a trilogy would be interesting yeah. because they do, they've done well with yeah. other franchises. I mean, I love Invisible Man too, a very underrated horror movie. Yeah, one of our favorites in the past few years for sure. And I just wanted to mention they have a horror film coming out next year that we're going to be talking about Blumhouse in more in depth because I want to kind of go through Jason Blum, his background and how, uh, and, and how he's become so famous um, today. But they're funding a remake, an American remake of Speak No Evil. Whoa. Starring uh, James, oh my God. James McAvoy, one of our faves. And then yeah. Mackenzie Davis, another one of our low-key faves from Station Eleven. And so that that movie's going to break American audiences. If they stick to the Danish-like version of Speak No Evil from a year or two ago, yeah. that movie's going to be wild next year. We yeah. should probably try to cover that if we can. Yeah, you should also like go watch Speak No Evil. Um, is it... what? What streaming service is it on? I'm sure people can find it. Just yeah. give it a Google. And um, it like I, when you just said the name of the movie, like it made me nauseous. Uh, so if that is ending. an indication, well, maybe that's a something that will like turn you away from it. Deeply um, unsettling, but yeah, yeah, really uh, uncomfortable and interesting in a in a way that in, in the first half I thought was like really i thought it was like a great story in terms of horror to, like to a, be so disturbing felt like a ruben uslin film in the first yeah, 65 yeah, 70 that's a minutes great point but yeah. but then towards the end like i don't know how i feel uh, we'll, we'll talk about it i guess but but then there's like an image that i've just i like cannot get i can't get out of my head mind. either when you yeah. said image i know exactly what you're talking <laughs> about so, yeah uh yeah all it's right it's tough okay. um i okay we can get into the movie i just wanted to mention that so we're going to be talking about william freakin's 1973 the Exorcist. We are going to play this movie. You can watch it with us, or you can just hang out with us because we're not gonna like be talking about the scene by scene. We're gonna be we're gonna be just talking about the movie as we go through yeah. through the film. And yeah, so, I guess so. You could just like listen to it like a regular podcast where we'll yeah. just be having a conversation about the movie. 
Um, or I guess Trey, do you want to, for people who do want to watch it with us, yeah. uh, Trey, do you want to tell them which version we're watching? And then also, I guess like count us down. So we're watching the extended version, which I don't know if you can rent, but we only own the extended version and I couldn't justify spending three or $4 <laughs> to rent the theatrical cut. So it's for only some, like 12 more minutes. It's so. 12 more minutes. Yeah. We get some cool stuff. We get some spider walk down the stairs. If you don't want this movie spoiled, you've never seen it. I would go watch it first, then come back and listen to us because yeah. obviously we're going to be spoiling the movie throughout. Yeah. Um. So right now we're looking at the Warner Brothers picture. It says a Warner Brothers pictures, a Time Warner company. I think we're at a one second or two seconds on the screen. So if you'd like to play the movie with us, we're going to start in three, two, one, play. Okay. So The Exorcist, William Freakin. Kels. You just watched this movie a few months ago for the first time. I did. Did you finish it and think that's one of the best horror movies of all time? Did you think it was even a horror movie? How did you feel about it when you finished it? So I was surprised in that, like, I wasn't really scared at all um, because I've heard, obviously, that this is one of the most iconic, you know, scary movies. Um, We also are from uh, Washington, D.C. area. And so, like the Georgetown steps uh, are a huge, you know, tourist (laughs) attraction. And like uh, people know about this movie. Oh, a great, um, a great sound to open the movie too. There's uh, the sound mix in this. It sounds like a violin, but actually it's like wine glasses being um, scratched. Yeah. But so anyway, um, so I actually wasn't scared. I felt like it was more of a drama and I was so surprised by that. And then I was also confused. I was like, wait, what is this saying about religion? Is this a religious film? And then obviously we had a conversation, which we'll talk more about today. But so should we talk about like the opening of the movie right now? Yeah, we'll get into how this movie is probably the best conservative religious movie ever made. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a very like our listeners are probably like, what? (laughs) It's a very specific tier of films, but this is the best openly conservative movie I've ever seen because this movie basically predicts where we are in our our country today. And we're going to get to that. So we just opened up to Iraq and it looks like we are looking at people doing some kind of like, archeo- like archaeological dig. Yeah. Dig. And it's actually a real dig that they were um, shooting. So that's, I guess why, you know, yeah, it looks realistic. And then, uh, but then we have our, our guy, Marin. Yes. Marin. <laughs> yes. Uh, we are going to be talking a lot about Max von Sydow. Uh, so what's cool about this opening to Iraq is that like it feels like it has nothing to do with the rest of the film. Like when you yeah. see it for the first time, you're like, wait, are we ever going to go back to the Middle East? Is that going to be a part of the themes in the Middle mm-hmm. East? Like why, why is it like this? But what's so awesome about the beginning of this movie is that it just sets the atmosphere. And it's something that William Freakin is so good at uh, and something that I think he kind of stands out when it, when you think about new wave seventies Hollywood directors, when you think about like a uh, Francis Ford Coppola, or you think about a George Lucas or whoever it is, something about William Freakin's films right away is kind of haunting and lingers and atmospheric and moody. And I, I really, I love that. Yeah. I mean, this is something like, I know I've seen people be in or out on this opening. Um, so some people don't really care about it. Uh, but some people are like, this is, I think when we were on uh, some mythology, 
Um, yeah, Raymond. I forget who said, but they were like, this is the best part of the movie. Yeah, which, Raymond said it was the best part of the film. He also said he didn't really care for the movie. Like, yeah. he, he understood that it was well made, which well Which is a crafted. brave hot take, you know? We, I think, we respect uh, bravery. I so. was pro. Yeah, I was pro <laughs> that take. I think it's a good take. Um, of it not being a good movie? I think it's a good take the way he explained yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That makes that sense. I could totally not an effective someone. horror film. That makes sense because I just, I literally just said, yeah, it's like a drama to me. Um, but I, I don't I, see it as a drama, which is interesting. Huh, okay. I view it as like, almost like I, I said at the end of their podcast and I'll say it a lot today. I have a very cynical reading of this movie that, <laughs> yeah. um, that I feel like it was a cautionary tale come true. Not that William Freakin is like, uh, trying to tell us a cautionary tale. He's telling us a cautionary tale of uh, modernism. Like he doesn't, it's almost like a critique on atheism, a critique on feminism. This yeah. movie is like trying to pull us back to what they would, what some people would view as like modern traditional values and saying that we've strayed too far from basically yeah, patriarchy. Exactly. And, and, uh, and that's what's complicated about the film. But the film ultimately, again, I view it as a cautionary tale as a five-star problematic masterpiece because look where yeah. we, look where we are culturally right now <laughs> well, even no, though we're more secular than we've ever been like look how women's rights have regressed for example like yeah like the reason though that it it is like a five star like you said kind of like conservative movie yeah is that it you can then like have a lens on it where you're like okay well this is basically what it's saying that is like uh that you know it's it's trying to talk about a family who is atheist and a family that like should be more traditional and uh, towards Without the end, a father. like her, yeah, her father is now like the religious sense of a father, right? Yeah. Like and that that's replacing her actual father. And now she is, you know, somehow saved or whatever. And, and that's like the cure to this, this modern family who's getting away from religion. So like having the lens on it makes it interesting uh, to talk about as a, you know, the most, one of the most famous horror movies um, so that's why I also enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, it is, I mean, also technically it's just like a suspenseful, like gruesome cinematic study of evil in a lot of ways. And I think that's really effective in those ways. And I think it's effective in how it's, uh, thrilling and suspenseful though. I agree with like, you know, again, Raymond and Austin about how maybe the horror doesn't totally work sometimes. And maybe I do think the dramatic elements are, are effective too. And I think technically it's kind of like an editing masterpiece, especially in the hospital, which we'll get to a little bit later. But ultimately this movie is like an advertisement for organized religion. Yeah. And so like, that's what we're going to be talking about a lot today, but we're still right now. We're still in Iraq. We're still kind of getting this, this sense of the atmosphere they're setting us up for. We have a lot of questions, not a lot of answers, which I think again, freaking is good at. Yeah. And so also Marin found the like Pazuzu, um, like, I don't know. It's not a statue, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. The, the, um, Some kind of relic. Like yeah. Just... Yeah. In the dig. And then my favorite part is he also has this medallion here, um, which I'm, I'm not sure like what I'm still confused about says. the medallion <laughs> yeah, what to this it day. symbolizes. But yeah, uh, when he's looking at this like evil against evil, right. Uh, relic, he is in this room with this guy and the clock stops. And my favorite thing is that freaking, yeah. <laughs> uh, we were watching a we documentary, watched a documentary of him. Yeah uh saying like just talking about the movie and he was like yeah my you know it's so weird to have everyone talk about this movie and be like oh yeah the clock stops what does that mean and he's like i don't know yeah it just stop i just had it stop <laughs> i was like <laughs> so he's he is a an interesting character mm -hmm. we will talk about later and uh there's a this this 
set, like there was a lot of crazy things that happened, like actually terrible things that happened um, in terms of like abusive power. We'll definitely point them out when yeah. they come up. Um, yeah. I mean, William Freakin is a character. He has spent all of his life since the exorcist. He's made obviously great films since the exorcist. Like he made sorcerer, which is, I wish I could have saw that in a theater. I wish, mm. I think we might be able to in October. I might be playing at the Alamo, uh, to live and die in LA. It's just, just a whole vibe. That whole movie is like trying to kill itself. It's insane. Um, uh, obviously cruising and uh, being a very controversial movie of his, he has a whole filmography of kind of, uh, dynamic movies that are exploring institutional hypocrisies and like, He's a moralist filmmaker. He has a lot of opinions. He's very open about those opinions. He's also tried to like reframe the making of this movie to be something of like an apostolic text. Like he he looks at The Exorcist until his passing over the past 10 years when he talked about The Exorcist, he talked about it as a film kind of trying to give people their faith back. Um, but I don't think that was the kind of language he was using around the marketing of this film in the 70s and early 80s. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like he was trying to reframe his whole his whole uh, purpose in making the movie once he got more religious as he got older. So I think that's interesting too, to look at it from that perspective, even though William Peter Blatty, who, you know, this, this screenplay is adapted from the exorcist novel from Blatty said he wrote that text as a way to kind of get people to find their spirituality again. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's definitely how I read it. Like the person who wrote this, that was their goal. Um, I, I think that my favorite fact, uh, learning about the exorcist and the, the making of, or one of them mm-hmm. is that, um, Max von Sydow, 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 uh, is like 40. Yeah. He, he they put makeup, makeup on, on him to make him look older, but he just kind of, he's always looked 65. Yeah. <laughs> he looks so old as Marin. And then yeah. they, I think they put makeup on him later on because in the movie he's supposed to be um, older, like when we see him later in, yeah. the, in the house when he does the exorcist. But so he's about to go see the statue and we have this like editing and this is where we have that like really intense sound mixing and like the, the dogs are about to be barking when he sees the statue. Yeah. So when you first saw this a few months ago, were you kind of confused because this is, it looks yes. nothing because yeah. you obviously had a relationship to the exorcist, right? Because like you yeah, had never seen like the, the movie, conjuring. but, but you've probably seen this film parodied, parodied or spoofed or like in, in scary movie or, or an SNL or something. You've probably seen some kind of Reagan ish ish kind of situation happen, right? Yeah. I think just like the conjuring, I've seen so many pieces of it. Um, I just hadn't really seen the end. Right. Um, right. our dogs are now freaking, they're not into <laughs> the dogs because they growling. hear the, the dogs fighting. So this Pazuzu statue, they never say the name Pazuzu, correct? They don't in, in this, this film. No, yeah. it's that's captain. Howdy right there. That statue. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and then we have the the like again. I think uh, freaking said that it was wine glasses that uh, someone was uh, making that sound, so it sounds like a scratching. Um, so now we're I, in Georgetown. I love this shot here. The like going over the key bridge and the pan into, into Georgetown. Georgetown. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, it's so weird. We were in Georgetown uh, a year ago, last Halloween. We were yeah, in last Georgetown. Halloween, yeah. and we saw After Sun. We right? did see After Sun, which is yeah. like the opposite of a Halloween movie. Uh, Honestly, Halloween. for me, it was like a, a horror film. That was my favorite movie of last year. Um, and you can go back and listen to that episode. There was only one other person in the theater, and he was like on his phone, and then he left. He left, right? Through. Yeah. Me- meanwhile, I'm just like having an emotional experience throughout <laughs> the whole film. 
Uh, I should have added with like my religious commentary about my childhood growing up. Like I have very young parents. And so that had a lot to do too with my experience of the exorcist uh, believer. I should have, I should have mentioned that because that part of it, like having young parents dealing with negotiating, having a family versus having uh, a, a relationship to a church that is not okay with you having a family so young or mm. out of wedlock. Like that was an element of that film. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Which has nothing to do with this film. I just wanted to mention that to give context. Oh, we um, have the first rattling. Yeah. So Ellen Burstyn just heard some rattling in the, in, in the attic. What, Kelsey, right now we have an attic. If we heard we rattling <laughs> in our attic, well, we've never been in our attic. We, the, the, it's so funny. The day after we watched this, we heard like, I heard rattling, like yeah. the same sort of like, you know, it sounds like a squirrel Wait, or something is in the attic. What? Yeah, I told. I, I said told yeah, you. like I thought that was normal. You didn't tell me you heard rattling in the attic. I'm pretty sure I did, but I I have a question for you. What? Um, yes, we do have an attic. Um, okay. And I was wondering, like, what is scarier? Okay, because we just watched The Conjuring last night. Yeah. A basement or an attic? Like, which one would you rather not go into? Um, is my basement like the conjuring basement where it's like boarded up? (laughs) Uh, Do I have to like rip off like wooden boards to get into my basement or Uh, is there like accessible lights? I don't know. Okay. Let's just imagine they're both pitch black. I think, I think the idea of being trapped in an attic is scarier because there usually aren't stairs. But with a That's with a so basement, you have stairs. I I choose the basement. I think the basement is no. Scarier. I'm saying I. Oh, you're choosing the basement is scarier. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So Ellen Burson's character in this <laughs> film, her name's Chris. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So she has people working in her home. Yeah. Multiple people. She yeah. She's an uh, actress. She's rich. Uh, she has a someone who's like watching her kid who I the first time I saw this I actually thought that that was her yeah. other child but no that's uh someone she who works for her also and we'll we'll get more into like their dynamic right but right now she's like on the set right which is this is a really strange uh, honestly as we're doing this and and kind of doing this chronologically it's a lot of very strange uh, a buildup of scenes to have back to back, right? Like we have well, that's what Marin, he's, he's good at, and then we have Freaking. the house, which is cool because she hears the noise. But then when we get to the set where she's playing, um, you know this this character, and she's about to go up to this student protest and say, like, you can only make change within the system, right? That's what something she yells something similar to that. Yes, yeah. Um, it's just weird, but a I, very kind of like centrist institutionalist message that the movie is not yelling at the it's yelling at the audience but it's also yelling at the priest who will see very well soon. yeah so yeah. freaking said um somewhere that like oh, i read this uh, as like someone saying this about him saying this so okay <laughs> take that with a, a grain of salt but there's a lot of that yeah, yeah but i i uh read that basically freaking said that Marin, or i'm not i'm sorry not Marin, karis right mm-hmm. uh the priest who yeah jason miller yeah ultimately does the exorcist with Marin. um had to work within the system of religion because he was losing his faith so he had to work within the system gain back his faith in order to save reagan at the end of the movie yeah and okay. save and, and <laughs> such a, still such a well bad not just save reagan <laughs> become reagan's father yeah. literally and metaphorically <laughs> Uh, which is, yeah. So I guess they're connecting it here Quite with her, you know, doing the scene, yelling it. And he 
is walking away, but it's just a, it's a bad connect. Um, it's, so it's also a weird message. But we yeah. should also mention this movie is coming out at a very kind of like radical revolutionary time for young people in the, in the seventies, early seventies. It's like the movie is sort of a response from more traditionalist, like a freaking like a William Peter Blatty who are coming out of a Vietnam era or Watergate era who are growing out of like, maybe a frustration with a, a revolutionary like kind of gr- young group of a new generation who are cynical because of those same things because of Vietnam because of Watergate mm-hmm. but this movie drops the day after Christmas in 1973 wow. only a month before Roe v Wade happens wow and i just thought that was interesting because now we're at the 50 year anniversary and obviously Roe v Wade's been overturned and what this film this film isn't obviously explicitly saying anything about feminism or women's rights, but there is a ton of subtext about about its idea of what, what women should be as, yeah. as we're watching nuns walk across yeah. the screen. It's, it's definitely, yeah, there's like a juxtaposition between Chris and the nuns. Um, but I think you're right. It doesn't, it's not saying anything explicitly, but it definitely is talking about like Reagan as a monstrous figure and like what is, she representing as like this monstrous embodiment yeah, of a fatherless like, daughter. Or, like, yeah, exactly. Like these going against these traditional values. I just want to talk about that scene though, that we just missed because uh, Chris was walking down the street and I, we got the exorcist music, which kind of sounds like the Halloween music, right? Yeah, it does. Doesn't um, it? And yeah. it's great. And I, and I, I think Ray, wish it was played more. That. Yeah. And then also she um, walks like by Karis saying uh he was like having a conversation with another priest and he was mm-hmm. like i've like i feel like a fraud all the time in my job and I just it wasn't that was, karis like, that said that right it was the other guy the no, other priest Ka- i think karis said it because uh, i thought karis's role is he's a psychologist for other priests yeah but i think he was like comforting okay the other priests. gotcha at least gotcha. i think yeah yeah i think karis was co- comforting the other priest but i think I, that is his, she over she saw him like basically trying to help these other priests go through their crisis of faith which is ironic because Karis is the character who goes through you know he's the main character of this film yeah as we as we see you know supposedly the main character of the film Linda Blair on the screen right now Chris's daughter who's telling her mom that she did she just say she wanted a horse she said something yeah, like that yeah yeah showing that she's like this upper middle class uh like girl living in a fantasy playing around with her mom around this huge house. And there's like maids in the house. And like, they're really kind of playing up this idea that the atheist, like uh, uh pop culture centered, like artist family without a father in it is just kind of like running amok. <laughs> I feel like they're kind of playing into that idea that they're just kind of, um, they're not taking them seriously. And then you juxtapose They're it detached with detached from traditional values. Look yeah. at that Coca-Cola and advertising they, there. And that's just and now we're going back to Karis, who is living this lower middle class lifestyle, trying to catch the train to go see his mother who's struggling. Um in a fascinating scene where Father Karis, who just was trying to help another priest have uh, go through his crisis of faith, and now Father Karis sees a homeless man who's asking him for some kind of some like change or something. Yeah. And he was an altar boy. Yeah. And then Karis walks away. Yeah. Um, Again, a great mood here that you should probably also preface that you're like explaining this in terms of what you feel like freaking's goal was not like how you're 
necessarily yeah. seeing it just in case it's not clear to people. I would hope 45, okay. where are we at? 45 or an hour into this pod. I, I, uh, I'm talking a lot about the way I've heard freaking because the thing about freaking in this movie, he's done like seven documentaries on his experience with the exorcist and he has tried to give the most opinions about his work on this movie. Okay. He's kind of like, this is his child in a way. This is like his baby. He mm -hmm. has treated it as his kind of his one major project that will be remembered forever. Um, rightfully so, obviously I mean, we're talking about truth, it. Yeah. Uh, but he's also then kind of lived by uh, this idea that he needs to continuously, like I brought this up already, but like reframe it and he like kind of give it this new lens that maybe it didn't have originally, uh, which is interesting. Yeah. Wait, so are we in, we're in Karis's mom's? No, we're in, we're in his place. Yeah. For some reason I thought he went to his mom's first, but we got that. He's a boxer. Um, oh, there's a picture of his mom. I never noticed that. I forget, I think Paul Newman was up to play this role. He said no. And I forget. I think Jack Nicholson Jack was Nicholson up for this was role. Up for it. Yeah. Yeah. And so Jason Miller, he uh, was actually a playwright, I believe. And he wrote a play that uh, William Friedkin had just saw about a man having a crisis of faith. And uh, Friedkin really wanted his, obviously his characters to be very lived in. And so he cast Jason Miller as the, really the lead of this movie as Father Karras. He's really the main character. Sorry, I was totally just watching this. Did you say that he saw him in a play? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think he's great. Um, I I was looking up something later on that I'll talk about, um, but I, I Googled like Father Karras and all of these like articles came up with, is Father Karras the first hot priest or something? <laughs> like apparently people have been like tracking hot <laughs> priests in, in movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's a hot priest. I mean, for sure. <laughs> he's like a little bit of Rocky Balboa before yeah, Rocky Balboa. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I'm pro. I mean, were you surprised by the end of the original, you know, the first time you saw this movie a few months ago that he was kind of the main character? Yes, definitely. Just because I had always like, again, like I have a lot of cultural, um, touch points with the exorcist. I, I had seen pieces of it. I had always understood it was about Reagan or like a, uh, girl being possessed. And so I thought yeah. it was going to center around the family and not around Father Karras's guilt. So that was really interesting. Like I, towards the end of the movie, I was like, oh, wait, he's the main character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this whole like, you know, plot or side plot with his mom is really tragic. Um, he, yeah. He's not like happy with, I guess, the choices he's made in his life. He's like losing his faith. Um, but more so he like feels like he can't help his mom and he, he, he just like is going through it. Well, we should say that we're, you know, we're both educators. I work in high schools for new listeners. Kelsey has been working in high schools for like five or six years and just started her PhD, um, mm -hmm. in sociology. And so like this idea, this concept of feeling guilt and working in a broken institution and feeling that need to stay, because yeah. of the way that institution pressures you to work within it and the way that society also pressures you to keep working in it, even though you're being exploited every day. That is kind of a really relatable element of his character that we didn't really get into on that other conversation. We yeah. Had on and podcasts. I think like it's, it is more relatable in terms of like the specific like job that he has. Cause he's not like completely in like, cause I, I wouldn't like compare a job to like anything with an organized religion or anything, but he is like a psychiatrist for the priests. And like, he feels like more of a public worker. Well, 
So, I mean, I mean, yeah, but the church is a social institution. So like it is an expectation from the public to, to have this outlet. And I know, like but that, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I understand. I just, there's something about his frustration that reminded me of like a frustrated teacher. We said this recently with Detective Loki, which is a ridiculous name, but we said it recently with Detective <laughs> Loki and Prisoners. Okay, so we just saw a Ouija board move. Wait, you have to finish your thought and then we'll go to this. Okay, I just wanted to mention that because Captain Howdy's only talked about like once in this movie and it's just... It's my favorite part. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like waiting till you're done so I can talk about Captain no, Howdy. No, let's just do it. I, I've, I finished my point, which is just that... He, he's an exploited worker within an institution and he's kind of giving up on the institution. And I think that's a fascinating uh, character study as the subversive main character yeah, of the but movie. I think, yeah, I don't know. I, maybe that's a, a conversation for like when we actually really deep dive this movie one day because I think like obviously like with religions like so diff- different, you know, in terms of like giving up his, or, you know, losing faith in an institution because of it's just a little more complicated. Yeah. And I know you already know that, but I think the reason that it, it is relatable in terms of like this public worker um, lens is because like when his mom is sick and his brother or his uncle, I forget who it is, says like, oh, you should have been a doctor because then you could have afforded That's a good example. to put your, yeah. to, to provide health care for your mom and your mom wouldn't die right now. Like mm-hmm. that is really heavy and like that kind of like weight and burden basically that um, you take in your personal life in terms of like pay or respect or uh, the mental uh, health like toll, right? Of, yeah. of just like um, basically like unpaid labor, right? Like yeah. uh, that is why it's, I think it's interesting as like a public, public worker story. Um, but I, we'll have that conversation maybe another No, I mean, that was perfect time. context. Yeah, that was great. But we just saw Captain Howdy in the basement. We saw, had a lot of like great things that we just... Uh, we just uh, missed saw. out on there. The Ouija so board sort of moved. Ouija board uh, moved. And so we know Captain Howdy's real. When I heard Captain Howdy, it's like my favorite name for a ghost ever. I just think it's like the most <laughs> hilarious thing. I like yeah. always talk about Captain Howdy to Trey. He doesn't have the same humor towards it. <laughs> I just think it's funny that you think it's so funny. I'm only laughing so at the idea that funny. you're like... Um, it, is, it is funny. <laughs> what I think is more interesting about this set of scenes in the movie is like Reagan is talking to her mom in bed and asking her mom, you know, do you like your director? Because you, I've seen you around with him a oh, lot. Yeah. I haven't seen you around dad. And this just comes right after the Captain Howdy moment. And so at this point in the movie, when I was a teenager watching this for the first time at like 13 or 14 years old, I remember like thinking, oh, is Reagan like, having a, like a psychotic break of sorts. Like, is that what's going to oh. happen in this movie? And so that's why I think the movie, the, when the movie's really effective and it's horror, it's when you don't know if Reagan is going through something versus actually being a, a demon actually kind of consuming her. Yeah, well, it's just like The Conjuring with like the imaginary friend Rory, right? It's also like The Shining yeah. with like the little... Uh, the person oh, that's who right. lives in his yeah, mouth. That is I the forgot shining. his name. Yeah. I think it starts with like Tony who lives in his Toby? mouth. Toby? Yeah, something like Tony? that. I'll I look, don't know. I'll look. Anyway, but there's a, yeah, like uh, these kids having this uh, this imaginary friend that's kind of like looming over the movie as this spiritual presence is something that's used in a lot of really famous horror movies and I always think is like fascinating. Um, and, but with this one, it's just funny because it's Captain Howdy, but I, I do it's Tony. think- It's Tony. I got it right. Nice. Um, but I think, yeah, it's interesting that we feel like she's lonely. And so you don't know like, okay, what's happening similar to, to other movies too. Yeah. There's also the orange bird she created, which I want to talk about a little bit later, but I just want to note it. So now we're in the bar um, where 
Harris is being asked to be transferred because of the specific church he's working at within he's the asking, city. Right? Yeah, Harris is asking to be transferred, and his uh, I don't know what the name is for his kind of like boss priest. I, I apologize to our religious listeners, but he is saying like you're our best guy. Like I can't, we can't let you go. <laughs> you, you do the best work, man. Like we got to keep you around. And what we already le- what we learned later is that Karis, you know, could have what Kelsey was talking about earlier, could have made a lot more money as a, a kind of maybe like a corporate psychologist or whatever mm-hmm. that means um, for him. Like what kind of job he could have taken and actually made a lot of money in. So he's probably very experienced in that field. And so it just seems like he's had a rough run of it, but he doesn't even know what's coming because this movie's a, a whole journey for yeah. him. Um, but it is a, I think it's a, one of my favorite scenes actually when he's talking to, you know, whoever is the head guy yeah and he's like, I need out. I'm unfit. Like it, and he says, I lost my faith. Like, I just think that's a really good intro to his character. He's been like this, like quiet kind of character. Um, and yeah. I, I really like, like Karis's introduction. So, uh, okay. So that, this was a really important part of the movie where, uh, it's Reagan's birthday and Chris, the mom is calling the dad who we never meet or never hear from. I don't think we ever hear his voice once. No. And apparently he's living in Europe or something. And he, uh, is not calling his daughter on her birthday and she's cursing out the, the, I guess the, the hotel operator. he's staying at, which is kind of extreme. Okay. Yeah. She's cursing out like, the operator. Oh my God. So, Imagine being on the other end of this call is so intense. intense. Yeah. And so, but what's important about that scene, which comes up later is that Reagan hears her mom cursing. And oh, then later okay. in the movie, Reagan's cursing in the hospital. And oh, then so we could believe, Chris says, yeah, Chris uh, says, my daughter doesn't even know those words. Like she doesn't even, I think she's something to that extent. Like she doesn't even know how to curse. Gotcha. Uh, which again just gives evidence to this. Am I watching a psychological thriller? Am I watching a like spiritual horror movie? Yeah, and and we get this kind of like this these subtle clues, which I really like in this movie. And I was kind of surprised by like the the rattling in the house. Uh, Reagan uh, coming to Chris's bed and. And she's like, why are you here? And she's like, my, my bed was shaking. I couldn't sleep last mm-hmm. night. And so like all these things, again, like similar to The Conjuring, I'm just comparing that because we just watched it last yeah. night. But like this idea of like, oh, well, all these things have explanations and it's like very easy to pass off, but I think are really effective in a horror movie. And so, then when Chris goes in the attic here, it reminds me of Black Christmas because of that um, nice, mannequin. Yeah. Billy. <laughs> Billy. Billy. <laughs> Uh, so William Freakin actually said that he didn't want this movie to be like Rosemary's baby, which comes out Mm. five years earlier Okay, because it was implied in the way he said it and the way that other people on this movie said it, Uh, apparently like an actual priest worked on this film as kind of like a religious guide. Okay. And in the documentary, one of the making ups for this movie, it might've been Mark Commode's documentary, I forget, which he had a wonderful one, but the priest says like, and so does Freakin that. Uh, we were trying our best not to make Rosemary's Baby because I, I, I think they think of that movie as like an, a, a critique on Catholicism. Mm. And so when I think of The Exorcist, I actually think of Rosemary's Baby first just because I don't know if this movie exists without Rosemary's Baby because Rosemary's Baby is like a masterpiece in gaslighting yes. and subversion. Yeah. Um, and this movie isn't as interested in gaslighting, but it does feel like it's gaslighting the audience. Yeah, as, it's yeah. not as gaslighting to the woman character, which is a more interesting, like feminist lens on Rosemary's Baby. But I don't know if the feminist lens works as much in this film, though. I do think there is a critique on feminism, but that isn't the same thing. Yeah, yeah. There's like you can take from this what what are they basically making monstrous, and yeah. wh- how is that a reflection 
of this idea of rejecting uh, tradition, like during that time, like what are they, what are they basically saying? Like is monstrous that that Reagan is becoming in terms of like, of puberty and exactly right. So like that, that part, (laughs) Carl. Yeah. Um, but and, so that and part women's is interesting. like like uh, sex positivity, anything, anything with that, like yes. had, anything in the seventies that had to do with uh, yeah, it's like talking about sexuality as monstrous. Yeah, yes, yeah, and it'll definitely get into that more explicitly throughout the film. Um, but I just want to mention Rosemary's Baby as a movie that had to do with gaslighting. Also, before that, The Innocence as mm-hmm. another film to think about when yeah. having to do with like a misdirect the whole film and like a, a, a woman character being misled through the film. Then yeah, you, don't say anything more. Cause I don't think a lot of people have seen the innocence. Yes. I'll, I recommend it. It's one yeah. of the best horror films ever made. It's more of a, a ghost film of sorts, also a spiritual film of sorts. Yes. I, I want to say something about this scene right here because I didn't understand this scene when I first saw it. So the priest is like bringing in the flowers, right? And then we get this shot of, a statue that's like in the church it's that, been defaced yeah yes and i did i didn't understand like when we f- even finished the movie the first time I you saw had to it. explain it to me i i didn't understand after seeing this movie 10 times yeah so we're supposed to understand that reagan did that like because she made uh right before we had that captain howdy ouija board she had that orange clay yeah um and we get also like more clay things throughout the um the movie that I'll point to also for in her arts and crafts station, but we're supposed to understand that she did that. So in the exorcist believer, they kind of get rid of this whole Pazuzu thing because when Reagan defaced that Mary, um, uh, what do you, what do you call it? I guess Mary in the church, um, the statue. statue Yeah. I think it was Mary. And when she defaced it, she made it look like Mary looked like Pazuzu. Yeah, like the statue that we Marin saw, in, saw at the beginning. Yeah, of yeah, the film. yeah. Mm-hmm. And but there is no. I don't think there's a reference to Pazuzu or even the image of Pazuzu in the Exorcist Believer. Oh, did film. you see that that cut? I don't know if that's in the actual version, but it was Reagan. She was looking up at the doctor, and then we see like the Pazuzu demon face. Did oh you see that? no, I don't know if we saw it this early in um, the theatrical cut. Oh, okay, but they they. Uh, got rid of Pazuzu in the Believer, but it, also something I just noticed. They did that, do that cut though in Believer, which is interesting. Oh, okay. They didn't cut to Pazuzu's face. They cut to like this like demonic little girl face. Interesting. Yeah. Um. Something though also that uh, I wanted to point out that that the bird that she made that like orange weird bird with the like yeah the you know yellow feather. Uh huh. That kind of looks like a Pazuzu statue. You know what I mean? It I thought that's like, what she was making. So it's interesting. You see a bird. I was thinking of it was that little statue that that Max von Sydow's character found in Iraq. Oh, was that not it? No, <laughs> it's like this oh. big orange bird. With, okay, <laughs> with its wings Forget out. Forget it. I mean, it's a similar shape to this like demon with wings, but yeah. it's, it's definitely like so. Uh, <laughs> um. We're just going to keep out, keep on shouting out the Cinemathology podcast because they're a great show with with Raymond and Austin. But Raymond brought up that he didn't particularly like the uh, the performance from Reagan. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the the young girl Linda Blair um, performance? I mean, for me personally, I don't I don't need like in a horror movie for the kids to be amazing actors. Mm-hmm. Like in The Innocence, obviously, like it makes a, a huge difference, especially if they're doing a role that in, in requires a lot of like emotional depth. Um, but in something like an exorcism film, um, I don't know if it requires like this like a plus performance. If it's just an okay child performance, yeah. like I think that works enough for me because 
it's more about like the text of the movie. Uh, but so I don't know. I don't, I don't personally care. Okay. Yeah. I, I understood what he was saying and I've seen the criticism elsewhere about like her when she's just the daughter Reagan, not when she is Pazuzu the okay. demon, which I think is an important like uh difference because it's kind of hard to see when they shift, but it's very clear when they do shift. Um, but it's a hard transition, but I think she's great um, as the demon. Mm. Like when they're having her uh, move all around the bed and she, they're having her scream. Which, scary, what yeah. she's doing is like really unsettling and really difficult to get across. And I think it's, I think it's actually really successful. But yeah, I think her as, as this daughter kind of like starting to show signs of like mental instability or something's going on psychologically in the hospital. Like I can kind of see why people could check out a little bit. Sure. Um, so yeah, what we just saw is Chris is turning to science. She's bringing her daughter into the hospital. The science versus religion lens of this movie is not something we've talked about at all, but it this movie <laughs> it is like gaslighting in the sense of it trying to say, we believe in rationality and science up until like the scientists are like, have you thought about getting an exorcism? Yeah. It, I, we'll we'll talk about that when she's like with all the doctors, but yes, it is very clearly trying to juxtapose like science versus religion. And yeah. ultimately religion is the answer. Um, like doctors are misdiagnosing <laughs> back and forth. They're like over medicating, which yeah. I, I, is fair, but then they're doing things like just like a lot of speculation stuff where you're kind of thinking, this doesn't seem right. And then they, by the end of the film, there's like 30 doctors around Chris, which we'll, you know, we'll get to when we get to it. And so when they recommend an exorcism, it's almost like laugh (laughs) out loud, funny. Well, it's just so, it's just so interesting because it's like basically a logical fallacy, right? It's like just because science hasn't like hit a certain point or we don't have a, you know, a vaccine for everything or whatever it is, right? Just because science doesn't have every answer at this moment doesn't mean that it's like, oh, well, let's go ahead and turn to something with like, yeah, without evidence in terms of an exorcism to do that. So it was just, yeah, it's obviously like a very like a uh, huge jump. And then, um, but something that I did like in that scene where she's meeting with the doctor, uh-huh. Chris is like talking about Reagan. We, we get kind of like this um, information that this has been happening before we even started the movie, right? Like she like talked about how she's cursing. She's been acting like strange. Her bed's been shaking. Um, but, but she says that she's, her, she's noticed a shift in her daughter, like even before we've observed um, her in this movie. And I just like that kind of like background. What was the ultimate reason that Chris decided that she needed to take Reagan to the doctor? What was the determining factor? Uh, I think she said the bed was shaking. I think she also just said we missed it, but they just said it in the scene. Like she, maybe she was okay. cursing. Yeah, it, it was. Some, it was something like that. Um, okay. And then here's here's like the the big scene with Karis, right, where his mother was sick. Uh, I think she did. She fall. They're in or a something? psychiatric ward, and like they're. It looks like. It looks like the mother is in bed. So I guess, yeah, she might have fell. Yeah. Well, something happened to the mother where she like obviously needed medical attention. And the reason they're in a psychiatric ward is because he couldn't afford to uh, take her to a hospital. Yeah. And then we, that was the the scene I was talking about earlier that I think is like really effective um, where he feels, you know, like kind of out of control. He doesn't um, mm-hmm. have, have money to like actually help his mom. And so it's a really like tragic scene, especially with the uncle saying, well, you could have been this big shot doctor in New York. And like, you yeah. basically chose a life that you can't uh, help your mom live. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the contradiction of his character that he has to live with inherently, which is he has to, uh, is being tasked to help everyone or feels this divine need to help everyone, but then no no one can actually help him or he can't help himself. Yeah. Yeah. And so the the whole Demi thing, like his mom screaming Demi, is tough, especially when he starts having his kind of like his Pazuzu dreams later in the film. We have the um, music too now, like yeah, when really picking up as he goes into his boxing montage. Yeah, the the wine glasses. It's kind of like the screeching violin thing. Um, I and really then, like Jason Miller in this you know movie. What? He's Something really convincing. I'm, who's Jason Miller? That's that, that's that's our guy, Karis. Oh, that's Karis. Oh, okay. Here's the um, weirdest party I've ever seen in a movie. And they're also juxtaposing Karis with like this, like obviously like extravagant lifestyle. Yeah, this liberal yeah. middle class. Yeah like trying to be modern society that the, the <laughs> I just, the, the commentary about this, this middle-class group being the reason that society is breaking going into the seventies, yeah. the fear mongering that's going on in this film, the sociopolitical fear mongering is wild. Like you, if this came out in a horror film today, I definitely think people, I, I brought, I think I might've brought this up on the other show, but like I think of the exorcist exorcist came out today people would shit on this movie. You I think, think so? I think it would be heavily criticized as being like far right wing propaganda. Like basically how people are reacting to exorcist believer. I guess so. Yeah, I guess I should have mentioned that with believer. I, I gave the movie like two and a half stars on letterbox and I was going through some of the critics that I really enjoy reading and their reviews um, that they put on letterbox and going to their sites and reading those. And people were talking about it as like kind of like a alt right text. And I, I did not, I, obviously, I saw those those elements of the movie, but they weren't concentrated enough for me to really criticize it in that way. So I was kind of surprised, especially coming from like us who who are looking for political subtext everywhere because of like the responsibility that we feel big budget movies have. Um, yeah, when, when they are talking about things that have like socio political stakes, but I, I didn't really get it as much from that movie. But this movie to me is way more of like propaganda. But was, again, I still think it's a, a five-star Chris complicated just eating masterpiece. soup at the party? She was just eating soup while talking to people. Well, who so are the reason I said this is the weirdest party I maybe have ever seen in a movie is that there's like, aren't there like NASA workers well, there? Yeah, it's supposed to, there's so professors, it's supposed to there's be like directors. an idea of this like everyone's invited from the yeah, like cultural elite yeah. of, of Washington, D.C. You know, yeah, we have an astronaut, we have priests, we have director she's an actor yeah so yeah it's, it's a weird party also i like how we get we we don't like have maybe the emotional scene of karis losing his mom we just find out from one of the priests telling ellen bernston's character chris at the party i just like like that small detail Burstyn. ellen Burstyn. 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 yeah Burstyn. Okay. it's like burst i'll just call her chris <laughs> yeah <laughs> um Ellen Burstyn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then obviously we have this like this, you know, detail of the kind of uh, the director who abuses alcohol. And so what, later on, you know, when we find out that he dies, like we're like, what happened? There's there's like more, I think, like mystery around his death. Yeah. There's some interesting messaging around his character, too, that we could talk about a little bit when it comes around his death about like what was successful and what wasn't. Yeah. I think he's probably the least successful character that's a side character that they're trying to get a message across in. 
but yeah, th- again, this whole kind of scene is really weird. Just seeing priests and cultural elites like hang out because yeah. the message doesn't make sense about them being like liberal elites that are destroying society with their modernism because they have priests hanging out there. So that's confusing. Hmm. Um, this is like a really disturbing part of the movie where she tells the astronaut, like you're going to die up there. Oh, and Reagan just pees on the carpet. Yeah. 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 Everyone's just like, what is happening? It's devastating because like, I mean, we don't have kids, but like, I just, you know, yeah, kids go through so many different things. And so like seeing something like this again, when I'm watching this as a kid for the first time, I'm thinking, oh, Reagan is like, is being traumatized by what's going on with her family. She feels like she doesn't have like her father, even though she had him like maybe when she was younger and so she's losing this relationship to this figure that was so important to her life. Um, Obviously, that's what the movie is trying to tell us. And that's what the movie, the movie exaggerates that to the point where mm-hmm. Reagan doesn't have a father. So therefore, she turns into a demon. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? She needs two fathers who end up saving her at the end of the movie. Um, yeah. And I, I like the, I like their relationship that they built I, I, before, like, she actually gets possessed, I guess. Yeah. Um, where she she's talking to her and she's really, like, trying to just like check in with her daughter. You know, she's like, do you know why you said that? Like, she's like being very gentle and trying to be understanding, uh, with her daughter and she's just kind of confused. And so like, um, while obviously we talked about how this story from Freakin's lens and from the author's lens is trying to like talk about how religion is the solution. I think it's also like interesting to have a lens on it in terms of, um, like how this mother's like struggling through the healthcare system to figure out what is wrong with her daughter. Um, although she's like, even though she's like super resourced, um, yeah. also we're getting the first, like, yeah. the first Pazuzu scare the yeah, night of the party. Everyone's left. The bed Chris is just puts Reagan in bed shaking. and then she hears Reagan calling for her. And then the bed is shaking incredibly fast. The, the set design, the practical work in this movie is fantastic. The, the production design and, and the and the practical effects are so good. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll talk more about also like the, the terrible things that happened on set in terms of like getting the, the really like dramatic shot. Oh, Kelsey, you don't understand like the male filmmakers of the seventies, they did what they had to do to make exploitative <laughs> okay. art. Okay. They yeah. did what they had to do. It wouldn't be allowed to happen today. And yeah. that's the problem yeah. with today's movies is you wouldn't, <laughs> Uh, um, so here's Kelsey's hot take this of the is movie. My, yeah. Okay. So, and it, it is supported. So, okay. So this is, I forget what the guy's name is, but it's one of Karis's the other friend. priests, right? And he went to see Karis and his, his mother just died. Apartment. Yeah. And he, so obviously like he brought him alcohol, like they're just like drinking and he's checking in on him. But I definitely think like that this part of the movie, like these characters are queer coded and I also looked at You said that's so nonchalant. Like, I've never heard that take before. Okay. When you said that on the other pod we were on, I. Well, I said it the first time we saw it, too. Yeah. I was like, do they have a thing? Like, they, I was like, they. Yeah. You know, obviously, like, men can just be friends, and that's totally cool, yeah, too, yeah. and healthy. But, you know, there's some chemistry here. And I think, like, we get a little bit of the guy in the red shirt, the other, the guy who's not Karis. There's I a don't lot. Know his name. Of, there is a lot of, like, there is a lot of touching too. Like yeah, there, there is which, some intimacy. Again, men can touch and it can all be, it can all be fine. It's but all okay. Is, <laughs> but there is a, uh, like a feeling here with them. Yeah. And then also, um, so I was, I'm reading this book about gender and horror movies. It's called 
women, men, and chainsaws. Oh, we haven't been able to talk about this yet. I'm excited to hear more about this. Yeah. yeah. And so, and uh, I just literally was um, reading like a part of a, a chapter that was like talking about the exorcist. And they said that th- literally it's the first time I've heard it too, that, uh, that Karis uh, had like, um, he, he was like not a queer character, but there were, there were elements. And at the end, right before he dies, Pazuzu apparently says like he says you're a homosexual or something like literally those were that was the dialogue okay no I no way yeah. we, we would have picked up on that well really? I tried to read the script I tried to read the script oh the script and, okay um it doesn't have it but I mean I also didn't do a, enough digging okay but anyway that's what the book says I trust it it was written by a, a no I professor. do think that's a great take I just don't think the movie was explicit in saying that he was queer coded at all I don't know. I, I, I but I do think it's subtextually there. I also think that's chemistry. just like a subtext running through commentaries on priests in films like this that are interrogating religion. Um, but I, yeah, that's just, I think it's a great take, especially because the demon Pazuzu is trying to attack modernity. So he's trying yeah. to attack, attack any kind of identity that is outside of patriarchy. Yes. And so I, I think that is, that is a great take then. Yeah. We also um, just missed talking about my favorite, one of my favorite scenes, um, which is the, the nightmare that Karis has. And it's yeah. like his mom comes out of the, one of the scariest subway scenes in the movie. station. Yeah. And then we, we see the medallion that Marin finds at the beginning of the movie, like falling, which I think is, and I think there's also a clock that stops. We just watched it. Why am I having like trouble remembering what we just watched a minute ago? But, it was all the symbolism that we saw in the first 15 yeah, minutes of the but, movie. Yeah. But the reason why I really like that scene and watching it, I think this is like my third time watching it now, um, mm-hmm. is that it's not just saying that like Pazuzu or, you know, the demon is taking over Reagan or taking over this like element of modernity. I think to your point and, and it also supports my point about Karis. Um, it's like attacking anything that is like now outside of this like traditional concept, even within Karis's life. Yeah. Right. No, I think that's right. So, um, I, and obviously like we're reading it for different reasons reasons um but but that's like basically what they're saying um i think this yeah and also we should add like karis is a like they said he's a harvard educated like psychiatrist and this movie is like Mm anti-science anti-psychiatry and so like it's and and so it, it taking that stance is obviously like having the demon take over karis and kill him by the end of the film you could have the queer lens on it of being like that's why he's being killed you could have the religious lens which is like he's being killed because he's a a priest or you could have the lens that he's being killed because he's also like a scientist working within that institution. And so I think that, or, you know, not a scientist, but he is working within the science. Well, yeah, it's, it's also like this idea of like, Oh, higher, you know, knowledge, the ivory tower, like even the, the pinnacle of knowledge in our country, like can still not solve this like mystery of this movie. It's, it's definitely like Pazuzu is basically again, like attacking all these like ideas of knowledge versus, versus religion. This is the most technically well made part of the movie, which is Karis, uh, sorry, not Karis Reagan in the hospital going through a cat scan mm-hmm. the sound design is insane it is so yeah. loud it booms through our tv at home we've never seen it in theaters it's at the alamo this month maybe we'll check it out i'm assuming this is going to be kind of the loudest portion to watch in a theater 
except yeah. maybe a few moments where you know demon reagan is screaming <laughs> yeah. uh, at the father later in the film but this is a pretty intense part of the movie this guy with the glasses right here this yeah. you see this guy yeah he, I believe this is the guy. I apologize if this guy, whoever <laughs> this, this guy is, if guy. he's listening. Whoever's giving the shot right here, this doctor giving the shot yeah. to, to Reagan Lang. In on, her neck? Yes. He apparently, okay, nobody quote me on this, but I've heard this multiple times in the past few weeks prepping for this episode, uh, is a serial killer in real life. Nice. Okay. okay. Just and adding. They did not know that okay. in this movie. And, uh, and then William Freakin was inspired by this guy being a serial killer to then make a movie about a serial killer, which what? ends up becoming cruising with okay. Al Pacino, okay, which we're not going to get into right now because that's a whole other podcast. But yeah, anyways, I had to mention that, which is just pretty insane considering that what he's doing right now. Wild. That's terrifying. The blood um, shooting out of Reagan's neck again, just small things like that. Yeah. Disturbing. Apparently. I mean, there's like all these stories about, you know, how people reacted to the film and like that this was like really distressing and people were like, freaking out specifically about this medical piece of it. I yeah. think, I think, you know, obviously we're maybe more used to seeing blood, uh, but I don't also don't know how true all the stories are of like how people re were reacting in the theaters, like, uh, mm -hmm. passing out and everything. And, and people like left during this part. I'm trying to think of a movie that would even cause that reaction today in our current climate. Yeah, we're know. also inundated with terrible things. Yeah. Now I mean, we grew up with saw like as our, you know, biggest horror franchise, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I Barbarian think though, broke minds. Yeah. I think though that, yeah, Barbarian was a, a really fun theater reaction, yeah. but, but I, so I like this, um, this idea of using the medical, you know, the, the sound of the machines, like as a horror element to yeah. your point, I, I just think it's like really good. And the needles, you know what I mean? Like did this, this horror of trying to figure out like what is happening to her and the, the fear that Chris has that Reagan has, but like just the sound elements and all the kind of like medical, like cold, you know, sterile atmosphere of a doctor's office in an operating room is just like a really cool element to have also in a horror movie. Agreed. I, I think it's interesting that they're also trying to frame like what the scientists are doing, what the doctors are doing mm -hmm. as a horror movie. Again, like trying to, <laughs> to parallel that with what comes next, which is the demon taking over at, oh, at Reagan's home. Yeah. Also just an iconic decorated house inside inside uh reagan's home i really love the way this home is decorated yeah i do i really do it i don't looks like there's nowhere comfortable to sit well we're not big well that's what i was gonna say i like all the little couches everywhere <laughs> i i don't i guess uh, never mind we just walked by an armchair that we don't looked, keep looked we don't keep uh pictures on the walls oh my god so we just were the doctors just came yeah, to chris and reagan's we, home like rent so like we're not trying to <laughs> no i meant like pictures like we're not putting a picture of like a random tree on the side of like they have so many pictures of just like the wilderness on their walls because they live in georgetown so like they they ha have that aesthetic around them anyways so the oh my god all right so <laughs> just punched the doctor just in the face slapped a doctor uh so again like this reagan part of the movie well, where she just got possessed for the first she time. just got truly possessed for the first time this is the part of the movie where she apparently got hurt. Um, because, oh, really? Yeah, because Linda Blair gets hurt at one point in this movie, um, and that's that's already bad enough. But there's a whole other side conversation we can have when it happens of Ellen Burstyn like actually breaking a bone at one point. I forget what bone it was, oh, wow. but uh, and we'll get to that when we come to it. But yeah, so 
the physical performances in this movie, while great, it comes with this whole other very complicated conversation of the way that the director, Friedkin, and other, you know, ADs on set kind of pressured the actors into working into like very chaotic uh, uh, and like unsafe. nights and then yeah. in unsafe situations without asking consent of like what is okay in terms of like pushing them from below the bed or pushing them across the room or pulling mm-hmm. them on some kind of strap or wire. There's a lot of that going on in this film and sometimes you can even tell and with uh, Linda Blair there at one point when she was screaming, apparently you can hear her scream, um, please stop Bill which is what they call William freaking Bill. Oh, yeah. I thought that was in the Bernstein. No, that's different. Oh, yeah, okay. that's different. Yeah, I knew that I was like, it happened in, in multiple um, scenes and then also like also across the the two actors. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and also there's like some other stuff we'll, we'll get into um, towards the, the last scene, like what he also did to Karis and, and Marin. Um, I'm oh, forgetting their... I didn't, I didn't know that part. Well, I um, guess I'll just tell you now. Yeah. He like shot a, a gun next to Karis's uh, head. I'm just going to call their characters names because I okay. forget yeah, the yeah, actors. Yeah. Um, but he shoots a gun next to his head and when the phone rings at one point, so that way he like would be shocked and he was like i'm an actor dude like i and that's the jason miller one that's the boxer yes okay gotcha yeah karis and then uh with max von sedow's there's a a part which we'll see later where there's like you know the the green throw up like the pea soup kind of throw Uh up he didn't know it was like gonna go in his mouth like he didn't know that was like his mouth oh okay yeah it ends up like just like projectile vomiting the pea soup the pea soup into his face and he like didn't know that was going to happen um and then also like i think i think he like punched him in the face or something freaking did what the fuck yeah I, I think so again don't quote me on this one day we'll do a deep dive of this like where we thoroughly talk about all of the terrible things that happened on this set um and then also we'll probably go into like more i think like historical readings of this and different interpretations like right now we're yeah. just doing a deep dive of the text itself but yeah, the, uh, definitely. If you're interested, like read up on uh, on this movie, especially like the the mistreatment of of the actors. Yeah, I so Friedkin, a, a very complicated figure based on everything you just mm-hmm. said in terms of what he was trying to get away with on sets and just exploiting his team and and kind of part of that new wave Hollywood directors who were trying to upend the studio system and really get into like auteur filmmaking. A lot of directors who were trying to use their names as like, like trying to commercialize their names to become studios themselves, like almost IP as their name, Scorsese included in that group. And they were very kind of provocative and individualistic. But I think what you're talking about are also like the authoritarian parts of Friedkin, which Mm -hmm. is similar to all those directors around that age who were also having struggling struggling with uh, addictions to drugs among other things around that time too and there's a lot uh, written about that with freaking too if people want to look into that and so you can kind of feel that coming out of this movie which is what you can feel out of a lot of 70s and 80s films um i mean the french connection there's a lot of crazy stories on that movie which i recommend people again look into if they're interested that isn't one of my favorite Friedkin movies. I'd probably say The Exorcist is my favorite, and then I would say Sorcerer right below that. And then How to Live and Die in L.A. is just a ridiculous vibe uh, that I'm excited for Kelsey to watch one yeah, day because it's just it. such a a movie that is trying to like have sex oh, with I itself and scene. kill itself at the I same time. I love this scene. Um, she just like walked into her house right after driving by that the what she didn't know was like the the death um, of the director. And yeah. when she walks in her house, 
uh, the lights are flickering and then they completely shut off. I don't know if this is included in the extended cut that we're watching or the regular one, but we have a flicker of the lights come on and we have Pazuzu or like the demon face show up behind her. Yes. I just really like that scene because I mean, if the lights went out, like it's just immediately terrifying. (laughs) It's like the grounded pieces of the conjuring that we're talking about or like a window's open. Like how did that window get open? And you're just like, okay, well I'm going to obviously like, jump to the most rational explanation, but yeah, you still get a little scared. <laughs> yeah. There's something kind of cutting edge about that, that edit of like having Pazuzu's little face in the corner. I think that is Pazuzu kind of looks like Dracula now. Yeah. There's something Dracula like he's not that scary looking to me. I'm assuming obviously like, you know, at the time, uh, it's a, it's definitely memorable though. Yeah. Cause it almost is so absurd. Yeah. But he, he looks more like the, um, like the, that cartoon, like purple vampire. Sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and then I also like how there's the cold aspect of the room. Actually, there's so many conjuring parallels in this movie. Um, I mean, the conjuring is le- legitimately like when you watch the end of the conjuring, which we picked up last night, there's like a literal paragraph at the end of that film. The last frame of that film has a paragraph that says like <laughs> the reason why terrible things happen in the world is because we've lost Christ and like we've given ourselves to the devil. And it's the, just another exorcist. The movie is like the exorcist times two, but also yeah. like a comedy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's like a very complicated movie. So we're now finding out from one of the guys on set who's talking to Chris and saying, Hey, the director died. Uh, the only reason I'm bringing this up in a very straightforward way like this is because me and Kelsey are about to freak out because little Reagan's about to do this spider walk down the oh, stairs, yeah. which no one else is really going to be able to have access unless to seeing this at home. Unless too. for some reason, if you own the extended version, which would be sick if you do. Uh, but the spider walk, Kelsey, do you think it should have been included in so, the film? Because uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I have like mixed feelings on this because so, so like Chris is really having an emotional reaction because she's like friends with her director, even though she it's kind of understood that she has a complicated relationship with him. Yeah. Um, and also ambiguous because the daughter has mentioned that she's seen him around the house a lot too. Right. Yeah. So, so she is like totally shaken and then she turns around and Reagan is <laughs> spider walking right now down the stairs with blood just coming out of her mouth. And, and she's like in total shock. While I think that is like, I I want it in the movie. Like I want it somewhere in the movie. I don't think it fits there chronologically because if you watch it without that spider walk scene, then we immediately just go to this like scene where she is talking to a psychiatrist and we, and and I think without the spider walk scene, it's a, it's a better pacing of us under like of the unfolding of what's happening to Reagan instead of an immediate like shock. She's doing the spider walk upside down down the stairs it like kind of takes away the mystery of yeah. what's happening with reagan so i prefer the the you know original cut um where we slowly find out what's happening to reagan and then you know when we're going into her, her room there's like suspense so you're like every time we go into her room what what else is going to happen like um is, is someone going to be able to like unpossess her you know so there's more mystery around it when there's no spider walk but i do want the spider walk somewhere in there yeah i'm just gonna say it's kind of sick and i just want to keep it (laughs) i love the thorough breakdown of why it should not be included i also think the it chronologically doesn't make sense i also think it takes away a lot from the end of the film and like the how bizarre it gets with the demon taking over reagan yeah and all the expletives that are said and just like what they make 
Reagan do, like the what the demon makes Reagan do, like all that stuff, it would be less effective if you saw the spider walk first. So I think all your points are valid, but I just think as a practical, like seeing, I saw, we watched the behind the scenes and they put like a rope on the woman who goes, the stunt double who goes down the stairs like that. Mm-hmm. And they like hold her in that specific angle so she can go down the stairs. And it just was so intricate the way they did it. And it was just so well done that I wish they could have kept it somehow. But you're right. It just feels the pacing would have been off a little bit. Yeah. And then like, then we see that she has like super strength here, which then an element of the sequel that the believer film, the 2023 film that is not included. Oh really? Yeah. The the girls don't have super strength. Not from what I could tell. I mean, someone does get thrown across the fucking room at one point. Okay. Okay. But like, it, in this movie, they do prompt you to think that that she Reagan is like Superman at one point. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I I think that uh, the relationship with Doctor Karras and the detective that we're seeing right now is kind of funny. Is like one of my favorite relationships in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love just that. Really yeah. like their dynamic. And so like he's like running around the track, getting out his anxiety and all of his. Well, oh wait, his mom. So I was going to make a joke, but actually it's tragic. So never mind. Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, he's like, he's running around the track and the detective is asking like, can we talk? Because he, he wants him to give him inside information about one of the priests because the detective right now, like assumes that one of the priests is the killer, which I did not catch the first time I watched it. I think this movie is again, you know, it's a complicated, like, religious propaganda conservative film that uh, is still a five-star masterpiece in how it executes its thrilling elements and also how how it somehow foreshadows, like, what's to come in our culture, unfortunately. Uh, but I also think it's really structurally smart in its screenplay yeah. when it does this whole subplot of the detective investigation and following the detective trying to figure out like what you just said, is there some kind of like religious serial killer? Cause then if you look at it from the detective's perspective, he is going through quite, quite the journey. He's thinking there's like a, some, someone got killed in the most brutal way. Their heads turned all the, all the way around Yeah, uh, a director. And then, then he thinks there's like some kind of spirituality connected to it. Like maybe there's a religious kind of like a Zodiac killer thing. And he even, I think, <laughs> suspects Father Karras because he's maybe too smart for his own good to be working in religion because he's like a Harvard psychiatrist, which I guess he read up, read up on him before he talked to Karras. And then by the end of the film, he's like talking to the mom, Chris, and starts to like suspect her a little bit and then like everybody else involved yeah. in the story. And you're like, okay, he is going through every kind of, every element of this case, but he's not going to the spirituality part right up until the end of the movie where, where you're kind of like left to think, did he, is this like the worst detective of all time or the <laughs> best detective of all time? Cause it was like very, I was confused yeah. because he's trying to stay so grounded. He's like a French connection character implanted in this supernatural horror movie. And you're kind of left by the end of the movie being like, where, what happened to the detective? Like did the case just go like not solved? Yeah. Well, so he right here, he he says, like, just for clarity, like, as he uh, you're right, like, I think it, you're it's true that he kind of like is giving us all these clues in terms of who he's suspecting. And you're not really paying attention to that the first time you're watching it because you're like, what's happening with Reagan? Yeah, because he kind of um, thinks it's Reagan for the yeah. whole last 
35 minutes of the yeah, movie. Yeah, but, but you're right. It's cool because in this conversation, he's basically asking, like he's saying someone, you know, um, desecrated that statue. Yes. And then also there's this like witchcraft type murder. Yeah. And I think like someone in the church did that. Someone who's a disgruntled employee. So tell me who that is since you're the, you're the psychiatrist for priests. Um, and, and I just didn't pick that up. Like, mm-hmm. and, and when he says that you're like, Oh, like Reagan, like, you know what I mean? Like when obviously when you're rewatching it, like yeah. did both of those things where I, um, uh, assumed she killed Burke, the director. Yeah. But I didn't assume that she did the stuff in the church, um, which later on we'll find out that's why she has the cross in her room, I think, because she like went to the church. Um, and so she took the cross because she was afraid, like she was possessed by, by Pazuzu or the demon and, and, you know, did that to the statue with her clay. But then maybe she also took a cross because she was afraid. Like that's also the religious view or lens of like, that's what made her feel safe. I think what the movie's saying. Yeah. Um, but, but you're right. Like at the end of this, ultimately he goes through all these, like these people he's suspecting to try to solve yeah, it. And yeah. then, and then we'll talk about it at the end, but he's like, all right, want to go see a movie? Yeah. <laughs> that's all he wanted to do. He's just an extra credits listener. He just, yeah. He's just part of the extra credits universe. He just wants to see a movie. <laughs> that's all he's looking for is for someone to go see a movie with him. Why won't you go see a movie with him? Doctor or not Dr. Karras. Yeah. Uh, Father Karras. Father Karras. <laughs> Get it right. Um, yeah. So the whole idea of Reagan killing the director, that is what happened, right? That's because that's why his head was turned around. Yes. Reagan pushed him out of the window yeah. and then went like down. Reagan possessed. Yeah, did that. Yeah. Re- sorry. That's what I mean. When I say Reagan in the second yeah. half of this film, I mean Reagan possessed. Right. Because Oh, it's a Stranger Things shot right here. Oh, Just like yeah. zooming into the Hawkins, hospital. Yeah. So I, I forget where I heard it. It might have been from a filmmaker creative on the set of this movie or could have been a critic that just really intensely read the movie. But they um, made the comment that they believe that the director of... At one point, somebody mentions the director of Chris's movie goes upstairs to Reagan's room. And they're like, why would the director have gone upstairs to Reagan's room? Mm. Someone mentions that. And yeah. then I heard a creative or a critic mention that they thought that uh, that director might have been assaulting Reagan. Oh. And that is why she killed him. And that is why she goes to deface the Mary statue and then get a cross. And she finds religion. Uh, but that I, I don't think that reading is completely successful because it's never really fully developed right but it is an interesting lens on how the demon eventually finds reagan first but she already has the captain howdy stuff happening in the basement also the captain howdy thing do we even hear that name again in the movie is that just kind of no i think it's just like a one-time shout out to to captain do you Um, think that the captain howdy part is fake but the demon pazuzu stuff is real is that supposed to be a subversion like the you mean in terms of like the the story well in terms of reagan like was reagan trying to get her mom's attention because that's when she at when she did the captain howdy bit and she moved the ouija board and the ouija board no i think it was very much like a the um, demon was there well i i think it was very much like a rory imaginary friend from the conjuring like yes i think that the demon was was there but we're like supposed to understand or be it's supposed to be misdirected because we know she's lonely and we That's know that so she probably has interesting. A, has made up an imaginary friend to like because she she wants to see her mom and yeah um, yeah so I think that that it's like that aspect but yes I think we're supposed to understand within the reality of the story that Captain Howdy 
is actually Pazuzu. Okay, because I read it as if Captain Howard, the misdirect of the movie is that you're following a girl, like a young girl, disassociate from like her household because of this broken, what the director is trying to get across, this broken uh, family. And she's creating a distraction so her mom will see her and speak to her and then her father will come home and, and Captain Howdy is that distraction. And then when Pazuzu actually comes, you, the audience, are like, wait, but she was tricking us before with Captain Howdy. Am I supposed to believe her now? But when Reagan's head turns all the way around, basically, you're kind of like, oh, there actually is a demon. Yeah, it's like a mis- misdirect sort of. Okay, interesting. Um, and we just, we just, sorry, I skipped over the part where all the scientists were like, hey, actually, like, <laughs> we're not real scientists. We're just, we have these outfits on. <laughs> well, no, they, we didn't go to college. <laughs> like 80 of them in the yeah. room. No, there's like maybe like 10 or something. You're going to get a big hospital bill, but like we have nothing for you. You got to get like some priests <laughs> at your house ASAP. <laughs> yeah, Trey joked like after we saw this. Um, oh my God, is that like blood on the stairs? Stuff? Yeah, wow. Um, so, but Trey joked huh. after we, we watched this uh, for when I watched it for the first time, he was like, the actual horror is like the healthcare, you know, bills that are going to be coming. Yeah. Like, the medical bills are going to be yeah. tough. I mean, I know she's an actor, but damn, like, uh, having 10 doctors just like giving you medical advice. I, I also think though they were, so, uh, they were doing that juxtaposition again of like science then saying like, Oh, you're going to ultimately have to go to religion, even though they had this, the, you know, doctor say that, the exorcism will psychologically cure her. Not like that. They're not like pointing to religion. That's um, true. They do make that point. Thank you for bringing that up because is, that is interesting. This is also important too here. Like, so, uh, the clay that the detective finds at the bottom of the stairs. Yeah. Because that is supposed to tell us that Reagan both killed, uh, Dennings Burke, the director. Mm-hmm. And then also that, uh, she, like use the clay to deface the statue in the church. And then now that's like the connection we have like immediately here where Chris says, Carl, did you put this cross in her bedroom? Yeah. She found it under her because pillow. She, because Reagan like got it from the church that day. But yeah. so that's where I put it together. Yeah. Kelsey um, killed it after one viewing this movie was like, this is what, well, this is why he found the statue at the ball, bottom of the stairs. This is where the cross came from below Reagan's pillow. Meanwhile, me, the past 15 years, I've been like, wow, William Freakin and, and everybody who worked on this movie really did a good job of planting questions that have no answers. And well, Kelsey was like, They're, all the find, answers are in the movie. He's about to find the clay turtle too when he comes in for coffee. Like, yeah. And he kind of starts to put it together that, so, okay, something's in the house. Like there's clay at the bottom of the stairs. They She made this clay turtle. Um, but I, I also think it's interesting here because ultimately Chris is like, who put this cross in my daughter's room because ultimately like no, regardless of what's happening with her daughter, even though the doctors turned her to a religious institution for answers, she's still like, why I, the religion's not the answer who put this in my daughter's room. I'm yeah. like against this, which is obviously like the movie is saying, you know, is ultimately going to, you know, in their eyes remedy. <laughs> right. Um, I love this scene where the detectives talking to Chris, he's doing his best Perot work. Right That's now. so true. I just love their dynamic. I think she does a great job of acting terrified. Like she's like, you know, uh, defending she's her daughter who she pretty much subtly, knows murdered subtly defending her daughter. Yeah. yeah. Right. But, but she like, she like sort of knows yeah. deep down that it happened, but also doesn't have answers. And I, I just think she does a great job. I like, also like performing this, this scene. the cinematography here because they're like doing this, this slow zoom in oh, as true. she's being interrogated, like in subtle ways. 
because he's trying. He's like he's he's using very passive language. Like I'm not trying to overstep my boundary. I'm just asking questions, you know. Uh, but but quickly about the the comment on the the scientists or the the doctors who were talking to Chris about her daughter and like them saying like though we don't believe in exorcisms we believe your daughter believes in exorcisms. Um, I just think it's interesting that the movie is still suggesting through those scientists doubting their own practice that science is like no substitute for God regardless. Like that is kind of still the, the, the idea of God, like science is still no substitute for the idea of God, which Mm -hmm. is the, is a through line of the movies like faith versus science argument. Um, and obviously it'll become more clear at the end of the film without strong father figures, uh, families are broken and little girls will become <laughs> monsters. That's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I just love this detective. I just think he's like, so, so textbook detective. Do you think it's interesting? Like I, I wonder what I know, like obviously deeply people who are coming from deeply religious families would not have been allowed to see this movie. Like David Gordon Green, who made the new exorcist film said he was not allowed to see the movie because he came from a a deeply religious household. But this movie is so pro organized religion. Yeah. But people took it as being anti-religion, right? No, it's just, I, I think the idea of defacing like religious like Mary, for example, oh, like that image is so sacrilegious to a certain extent that I don't think many devout, especially like fundamentalist communities, like are going to want to see a movie like this. Like that is not something that you would have access to as a young person, nor would you show anybody as an older person. So um, I just think I just wanted to oh, throw that out there for any of our religious listeners. I'd be so curious to the way that you watched and experienced this movie as something that is kind of like sacrilegious versus something that's just an interesting experimental horror movie that is like using religion as a tool to get its ideas across. Um, yeah. Yeah. Here's, here's where he finds the clay turtle. And then I also forgot like later on, uh, Karis goes through the drawings downstairs that Reagan is making. And she's also like drawing different, statues that look like Pazuzu that Marin saw at the very beginning of the movie. So yeah, um, this, this is a shout just an extra credit to Reagan's artwork. Yeah. Good wine rack in the back there too. That has nothing to do with Reagan. Sorry. I just, <laughs> yeah. Just, it's a just solid another wine extra rack. Credit to this Georgetown house. There's just so much <laughs> shit in this house. <laughs> I just like it. Um, I would feel we- so stressed to have like all these different like things everywhere. Can like, we, it sounds stressful to me. Can like, we uh, plug our uh, podcast real quick? Since sure. We don't do advertisements because yeah. we're an independent show. Uh, everybody, we have a Patreon. We just started a Patreon about a week ago and we just dropped two Wes Anderson deep dives on there, Moonrise Kingdom and Fantastic Mr. Fox. And we have Scorsese month this month. We're doing a Scorsese movie draft on this show on the main feed. Everybody will see that coming up. We're doing that with the Letterbox show is coming on as guests on that podcast, Very it'll exciting. be the extra credits versus letterbox, which is perfect for our community and our listeners. Cause yeah. we're all letterbox heads and we can't wait for those guests. Um, and we'll also be covering Scorsese movies on the Patreon first mm-hmm. Wolf of wall street. And then we'll, we'll tell the Patreon listeners what the second one will be. I'm really excited for Wolf of wall street though. Cause that's one of our shared favorites of Scorsese's yes. movies, yeah. but we're also doing horror films. Some on our main feed, one on the Patreon. If you, 
go to our uh, poll in this episode's description, you should be able to make the final votes on what our Patreon episode will be for horror films. It looks like the vote is going to be down to Rosemary's Baby, Jordan Peele's Us, and uh, Ari Aster's Midsommar. Yeah. That's probably looking, those looking three. Like yeah. 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 Maybe some votes there for Halloween too, but those might be the top three. We'll let people vote on the top three. Let us know what you want us to cover on Patreon um, to become a member of the extra credits. Plus it just costs buying me and Kelsey a cup of coffee, $5 a month and you'll get three episodes a month. Yeah. It's exciting. It's really yeah. fun. Cause usually we do new releases. Uh, this is like a um, specific, just like fun October, you know, horror episode yeah. surprise with exorcist believer coming out. So I'm excited to talk about exorcist, but yeah, this yeah. exorcist episode is going to be random to all of our listeners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause exactly. we have not prepped anybody for this. Yeah. But, but I do think like the Patreon is such a fun way to cover older uh, movies or like movies that aren't new releases and also have listeners choice. So I'm just like so pumped to add to our community. Yeah. Okay. We're in this, like this crazy scene here, which I've heard people talk about, um, oh, okay. We just had so much happen. So basically Reagan was just stabbing herself. Um, it was with, like self with like, the cross yeah. and people have called that like masturbating with the cross. And I, and I know that freaking use that language, but it's very strange to, um, use that language. It's I mean, like she's a genital mutilation. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, or, or the demon is assaulting her. So I just yeah. thought it was like a very strange way. Maybe it's a comment on masturbation, but I don't, Oh, for it's sure. Very strange to like call that, um, not call that assault. But then we also had, um, the, the scene, was that the scene where, uh, Ellen Burstyn. So Ellen Burstyn across the room gets and she got slapped so hard by Reagan um, so, well, the character Chris gets slapped so hard by Reagan. Ellen Burstyn is, uh, she's on a wire and the crew pulls her back and she hits the wall. And after like the third or fourth take, she asked William freaking, Hey, can we not pull as hard? Cause I actually hurt myself in that last shot. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, of course, not a problem. And then uh, reportedly he, this is what Burstyn said. And I think other people on the set have confirmed this. And so now it's like a fact. And freaking has kind of said that he, uh, regrets a lot of things that happened on the set, but it doesn't really matter. He said that he asked the people who were pulling the wire to pull even the harder, the hardest they've pulled, they can pull. Yeah. And so she ended up breaking something, apparently. Um, I think it was she broke, uh, it wasn't, I think it was like one of her like leg bones in her leg. Hmm. And it was pretty serious. Um, and obviously, like that is the kind of exploitation of actors and especially actresses that was going on yeah. in the 70s, well, even before that, obviously. But especially with like lead actresses in movies like this that were kind of genre exploitation films to a certain extent, that is the way they were being mistreated. And women not really having any access or to any kind of power or uh, regulatory body that would stop this, prevent right. this from happening in the future. It didn't actually become real serious news until the 90s or early 2000s. Um, which is just where there was just like uh, knowledge around or like information yeah. or Burson had access to be able to have a voice enough to say something like that. Yeah. Because obviously as a woman in that time, if you came out to say something like that against your director, you could lose all potential jobs in right. the future because of Hollywood being a patriarchal system and still is. But like, it is like, it, it is just a crazy scene to watch because it's one of the most memorable and also kind of like spoofed uh, horror scenes uh, ever. Yeah. And it also is kind of has this weird lingering uh gross uh aspect to it because of what you know happened on set. 
Right. So it is both just a uh, seemingly like a dis- like at the same time disturbing in the actual movie itself and disturbing Offset. Yeah. So it's a it's a really memorable part of the movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, I mean, freaking is like he does a lot of like wild things on this set, but like especially um, in terms of the actresses, in terms of what you're saying, like having no resources to basically report this. Or yeah. Like, do anything about it it's, yeah it yeah. was it was used as like a joke for the men on set to be like well yeah we we really got the best shot there didn't we all it took yeah. for us to pull on ellen's back a little bit and it was fine yeah um we also had in that scene um reagan's head turning all the way around i don't know if that was in the original cut no it was yeah it the was? theatrical cut yeah it's okay, one of the most famous was, shots well i thought it was she turned her head around later on in the movie also and and well sorry that was the 180 at the end of the film she does the full 360 oh okay Okay. Yeah. Well, and I I couldn't hear because we have the volume turned down a little bit, and we were, we're just like reading the subtitles slash hearing it. Yeah. But um, I I think that they couldn't like the sound guy couldn't get the correct sound of like what it was to have her head turn around, mm-hmm. and he ultimately like pulled out his wallet. It was like leather, and he like kind of um stretched his wallet, and that is the sound that is her head turning around, which is interesting. I love that kind of those stories about the practical things they did to get those effects across. Mm. I just love that stuff. Yeah. Especially because we live in such a fabricated uh, world today with CGI and VFX. But um, I was just going to mention how ridiculous that scene was because we just (laughs) saw an atheist woman ask a priest to give an exorcist and the exorcist uh, and the priest who's supposed to be giving an exorcist says, no, I don't believe you. (laughs) <laughs> just like a a ridiculous parallel that i think people are going to i i've heard people call that moment it, it beautiful wants no straps who said like it? it carl oh, carl the guy yeah. who works at the house about reagan mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. um yeah no that isn't a really wild scene you're right yeah uh, he's like listen like we don't do um exorcisms anymore and she's like why not and he's like well ever since we like found out just about like mental you know health and like mental illness like uh we we don't really do that and he's also you know he said he had lost his faith earlier on in in the movie um this is like it's a really tragic uh, story from the point of view of chris like just trying to help her daughter um, yeah. Seek and just get seek medical attention for her daughter um, or try to get some sort of help when there aren't resources. This scene, though, with Karis and, and Reagan, sorry, like moving on from that, um, where she's tied up and her, now this is their introduction. In her room. This is their first time meeting. Yeah. There's nothing in her room anymore. So, like, she has nothing like Reagan, no fish tank, no, like, yeah, just stripped of Reagan identity. Of, yeah, yeah. Her childhood. Um, and she is telling Karis, who doesn't believe Chris, like you said, and doesn't believe that she's like possessed. Um, Reagan or the demon is telling him things like about his mother, um, that her, her his mother is down there with them in, in hell, right? Like it's kind of terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we didn't really mention, but the whole like genital mutilation thing with the cross, um, that is kind of the first explicit image that we get of this movie really being about what the end of the movie is going to be about, but really being about Reagan's maturing into a young woman is like unnatural and horrific and somehow must be prevented. And like, that is kind of like the 
the through line of this film that when people say they love this movie, like it's funny, I was looking at what critics on Letterboxd gave this Exorcist Believer film rating wise, like one star, two star, and then mm-hmm. looking what they gave the Exorcist and what, reading the reviews and seeing how like they didn't match up and just kind of seeing the contradiction there because this movie I view is like way more, if we're going to take a progressive lens on this movie, it's a fucking mess when it yeah. comes to the end of the film. Uh, because the whole movie is basically about a 12 year old who starts going through puberty, like Kelsey has said, and it becomes apparent to anybody with any kind of like logic in mind or any kind of critical thinking lens on that. You have two adult men slapping around at the end of the movie to make her this kind of like sedated young girl again. Yeah. So like, that's, I mean, yeah, it's the idea of saying that that is like the, the, the final theme of the film. Yeah. It's the idea of like we were talking about earlier and it happens in a lot of other horror movies too. This idea of like what is monstrous, like when yeah. women are uh, a monster figure in a movie. Like you can think of like, okay, well, what are what's the comment on what is monstrous here? And like in this movie, like you're saying, Trey, like the idea of um, like female sexuality, or you know, is this idea of uh, a threat, right, or something that is, yeah. Like, uh, demonic <laughs> and, and you're right like if people were to see this movie today I think they would have like a maybe a different reaction to it being like a classic <laughs> yeah yeah I have felt similarly about Evil Dead Rise Rises this year which had like trans characters in it and there was like queer coded characters all over the film and had like progressive dialogue but the movie ends up like basically killing all of those characters at the end. Mm. And you would think that there's some kind of theme there about the devil demon figure killing all these characters purposely because they're being othered. Um, but there, that message doesn't come across at all. And so that movie becomes a, a weird text of 2023 that just people did not seem to pick up on that kind of like oddly, if not like oddly traditionalist, like alt conservative uh, argument about identity you could argue maybe it was just by accident, but it's still problematic in that way. So it still kind of makes me think, even though I'd like to think if this movie came out today, people would be like, yeah, this is a mess, like thematically. Maybe people would not pick up on that stuff. When they see know, Reagan yeah. doing that with the cross, they just think it's all for effect. And it's like the blockbuster of it all, the spectacle of it all, which is already terrifying enough. Yeah, um, I don't know. Did you did you see in that scene where the orange bird... Do you notice the No, bird? you're great with the no. clay. You're gl- you're great with the clay characters. <laughs> I thought you noticed. It no. was like basically the Pazuzu statue. No. Oh well. Um dude. Karis just asked, did you tell Reagan about my mom dying? Oh yeah. And she was like, no. And he was like, ah shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe demons are real. I yeah. love this shot of the detective like outside. I thought it was a great shot of Karis walking across the street, like kind of in disbelief and uh, just di- disoriented. Yeah. And then the the mirror shot, it, like we just see the car mirror, um, a rear view mirror of the detective, like looking at him walking across the street. Yeah. Um, this scene is not in the original cut. I think it's when Doctor Karis is like listening. Are you to sure? The recording. When- Interesting. Listeners, let us know. Yeah, I don't with know. Karis listening to the recording of the conversation. There's yeah, a which great also happens mirror in the effect. Conjuring. It happens in the conjuring, but I was gonna bring up actually there's a great jump scare in smile. 
Yeah, that's true. Where she's listening to a podcast or something on her computer or like some kind of recording. Yeah, I forget. She's listening to something and it's in the middle of the night. Lights yeah. out in her kitchen. I mean, that is like that is risky behavior. Are you kidding me? You're in you're in the middle of the night. You're just going to sit in your kitchen with the lights off with your headphones on. Yeah, that's a terrifying situation. Um, But yeah, he he like is listening to something. But there's another scene where he gets jump scared because that wasn't it. Oh, in the future. Okay. Yeah, that that was more like smile. I think like what you're talking about. Gotcha. Um, yeah. and now he he's like you know leading. He's contemplating helping with the exorcism. Like that's what's going on. Like the next morning when he when he's uh, leading church that day. Damn, yeah. he did not get any sleep. <laughs> the makeup's good there. That's, that's something really fascinating. <laughs> that's about what his I face. looked like this morning. <laughs> he looks very. His face is very has a lot of skeleton characteristics. Yeah. Uh. And there's something about that that feels right for the mood of this film. Yeah, uh, man. W- when Reagan tells Father Karras, what an excellent day for an exorcism. <laughs> Iconic. Uh, the the effects are like the makeup on her. Obviously, like now, you know, it's like... Sure. You know, obviously like very... I don't know. Not I don't even cartoonish isn't even the word. Just like very elevated and. Uh, but her performance heightened. is effective. But, it helps. But I think like I like it. So like I I know maybe it like obviously might take someone out if they just saw this today. Would you call it camp? Yes. Okay. But I but I enjoy it. Like I like that she looks like this demon. I don't know this possessed person. I I'm I like the makeup. I'm just going to throw this out there that no one asked for this, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Okay. I would love a horror film where the whole movie is everything from the screen. There's just kind of uh, evidence everywhere that the film is there's a, it's a spiritual horror film. It's a religious horror film. It's a demon horror film. It's a ghost horror film, whatever it is. And then by the beginning of the movie, you've been duped and it's actually something really grounded and there's a killer or a slasher or someone's been tricking somebody or someone's been medicating somebody I would love us to do the the inverse of what movies do, horror movies do for the past 50, 60 years, which is like try to make you think the movie's grounded and by the end of the film, it's a supernatural film. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like yeah. Jordan Peele's Get Out is the best horror film uh, since Scream of the 21st century, like going into the 90s for me. Yeah. Um, And Get Out does that shit at the end. It just makes me mad with the brain stuff. Yeah. Where I'm like, damn! Like, even though this is like a five star movie it for it's me, like still grounded, um, even though it has the those elements. But I know, I know what you're saying. I think we sm- need more screams. Yeah, I think it still like remained kind of grounded in terms of like the theme, so it was fine towards yeah. the end. Um, versus, I know what you're saying. Like something like Smile kind of like disappointed me at the end. Totally. Um, or the Boogeyman too this year. Yeah, and we're not spoiling anything. I mean, we're basically t- talking about like every horror movie. Or Talk ever. to Me this year yeah, too. But yeah, that was actually really well made, but it had the same issue. Do, do mean, you know what I mean about this theme of like these us. spiritual like, some movies? People, some people like that. Yeah. What is okay? So like that is that is a like a, the, the it's so formulaic at this point. It's yeah, just kind of like. Well, it's been happening for so long, but I just like the innocence is so good. Jack Clayton's the innocence because it is the, it is what I'm talking about. It is that inverse where you're like guessing ghost movie the whole time. Okay. Yeah. I think, um, I think that my, I have two questions. So one is like, do you think though that current movies are basically like, uh, taking a different angle on it? So like smile 
even though there are, you know, different like elements of, of the so. supernatural, they're like talking about mental health. Sure. Um, yeah. So that's like or one of the my night questions. House, the night yeah. house from a couple of years ago, malignant, things like that. Yeah. My other question. Everything's about trauma. Yeah. My other question is what, um, what's the difference between like a ghost movie and a demon movie? Um, okay. A demon movie is a religious film. Straight up. That's what it okay, is. Okay, there has to be religious yeah. themes. In a, in a ghost movie is, I think, I don't know. I think a, I think a, probably a lot of ghost movies are mischaracterized as ghost movies and are probably religious films. Because okay. when, when we're talking about ghosts and we're talking about spirituality and we're talking about afterlife and we're talking about ghoulish figures coming from an underworld, even though there's a lot of polytheistic texts that are that you could argue, just like how this film does with Pazuzu being a, a Babylonian a monster, not a monotheistic monster, though exorcist believer argues that it is a monotheistic monster, which is confusing. Um, I think most movies that have some kind of ghost outside of Casper or something that's like more comical are, are talking about some kind of religious specific uh, monster, some kind of deity. Uh, I don't know. I think, I think maybe for a lot of cases, the ghost movie might also be related to the religious slash demon movie. Obviously you're right. Demon is like basically synonym devil. Yeah. Like it has to be yeah, religious yeah. themes, but I feel like ghost movies have some sort of aspect of like a, uh, past trauma like lens or like That's a, true. like something like that is haunting from a, like a past, uh, experience. So I feel like they can be different in that way. Like I feel like conjuring the first part of it, I was like, Oh, this is interesting. It's like talking about like maybe things that have happened. Although obviously like it still has like spiritual elements we find out, but I think like, yeah, I don't want to be condescending to like our, like anyone who's religious or spiritual and then try to conflate believing in ghost to spirituality. Obviously those two things are different, but the way that movies frame ghosts or the use of ghosts, I think are very similar to the way that movies frame demons and religious films. Yeah. And so I just look at them as kind of being in the I guess same pretty similar. world. Okay. Here's the, here's the, the jump scare. Um, so he's like, Oh, you're right. Yeah. He's listening to the tape, um, that if you play backwards or whatever, right? Like the records, it's like that, uh, it says there it is. There's the jump scare. Uh, but it says like English, I guess, like, right. It's like, I fear the priest, fear the priest. And then it's talking about Mary and you who, lean in. Marin, who's the priest, yeah, from the beginning of the movie, and you're exactly you're leaning in to hear it because you're like, wait, is that the, the first time I watched it? I didn't even know who that was. I didn't know that was his character's name. But then we had that phone ring, and that was the part where, um, where freaking I guess shot the gun to like yeah. have him react. So uh, I was going to ask you, do you think that there is a controversial religious film such as The Exorcist today? That, that has come out in the 21st century. Like we just recently watched St. Maud because Zach Greger recommended it to us. Mm-hmm. Um, also talk to Zach today. He's doing well. He recommended another horror movie for us to watch. Okay, which one? Uh, it's called The Beast, a Spanish horror film that we oh. got to check out. I'm excited for that one. Is it one. like a current movie? Yeah, it just came out this year. I've oh. never seen it. I, I looked on Letterboxd. None of our followers or any of our mutuals have seen it either. I'm really excited to watch it. But I, I let him know that we checked out St. Maud and really loved it. And then he recommended The Beast. But St. Maud is a film that I think is it reminds me of The Exorcist, but a good blend of what you're talking about, which is that ghost demon movie 
Hmm. Where it feels like somebody yeah. is following someone the whole film, but it ends yeah. up being a demon. Uh, you know, and then Saint at the end Maude of the film, is a great example of like a a different kind of religious movie. Well, that's what I was gonna say because at the end of Saint Maud, you're like, wait, is this a spiritual movie? Yeah, is this a psychological yeah. break movie? What is going on? Yeah, it it's very that one very disturbing. Yeah, like haunting in a, in a lot of ways, and and uh. Just the the like personal you know dynamics of that movie are like it, it's more terrifying to me than like any kind of exorcism story or any yeah. kind of like ghost or demon story like the the just relationship she develops with with that person. I won't say anything more if you haven't seen Saint Maud. You can go check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he like believes now. So he's like you know in terms of the the Karis freaking believes. view of this yeah of this movie he is like finding religion slowly to help this uh young girl and he's he's like asking for the the exorcism to be done right you're talking about karis right now yeah 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 so karis saw that the upside down cross on reagan's stomach and then he saw that or reagan the demon pazuzu and then pazuzu through reagan was speaking latin i think or french at one point and then that was the evidence that he got he needed evidence to bring i think the cross was um was in conjuring it's it said help me in her stuff oh i'm sorry help yeah. me thank you we've watched a lot of <laughs> fucked up movies lately <laughs> but yeah no, so many he horror needed, films he needed proof just like the conjuring except the conjuring i love the scooby-doo aspect of trying to take pictures since we're talking about horror films right now let me check my letterbox to make sure that we're not leaving out any other ones we've watched this past few months because we've been i feel like we haven't done a lot of horror movies we've watched so many we just watched a haunting in venice which those yeah. pro movies. I was a big pro fan of David Suchet of like the 90s BBC early 2000s shorts and movies and the Kenneth Branagh. Who is writing Kenneth Branagh checks? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I so liked Haunting of Venice, I guess. Um, I It was my favorite Perot movie. Yeah. I think, of all of I think them. It's, yeah. I think it's a good take. Because I think it was the only one that like I, I genuinely think the other ones are boring. Like. Yeah. This one I was I was like at least having fun with some of the jump scares. I thought it was like funny and like there was there were some like genuinely kind of like a little bit scary moments. I mean, obviously like kind of, you know, right. like hokey kind of scary moments, but it's still fun. We watched uh, a Spanish film called Wreck from 2007, mm-hmm. the camcorder film. Uh that was good, especially the end of that movie, big barbarian vibes for anybody who's interested. But yeah, I think we've mentioned a lot of horror films. I just wanted to make sure we we Said yeah, all the ones we've we been watched watching. A, like an interesting one. Here's the most um, famous shot of the film. Influencer. Oh yeah, influencer. It's on Shutter. Yeah. Uh, a solid, stuck in your house on a Wednesday night. Yeah. Ninety minute thriller slash iconic scene right here. Movie. I love when Marin arrives to the house and it's like all foggy. It's yeah. just a great scene, and then it's cut straight it's the to cover Reagan's of the face film. as the the demon. Yeah. Um, I so so this is by the way this is. Uh, this isn't really a huge spoiler, but Max von Sydow's entrance to him, like coming outside the house and cutting to Reagan's face saying, Oh my Mm -hmm. God, it's him. Like Karis, you know, like, you know how he does, you know, the Reagan screams. Oh yeah. Yeah. He says says Marin. Oh, I'm sorry. Marin. Marin. Uh, But in the exorcist (laughs) believer, they do that sort of, but they do it with Linda Blair's, not Linda Blair's character, but uh, Ellen Burson's character. Oh, what do they say? They say Chris. Uh, instead, they scream. I think Reagan's name oh. to, to fuck with Chris. Oh wow! Yeah, is Reagan alive in this? Uh, I don't want to spoil that for anybody. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. 
I have a, a feeling um, this is uh, again, pure speculation. I haven't seen it. Trey hasn't talked to me about it until he d- just now and on the pod. Yeah. Um, but I feel like Reagan comes back and cures them. Wait, what? Yeah. Reagan comes back in the movie I just watched yeah, tonight? Yeah, in the movie that you watched and cures the the girls. When I tell you there's no way you could guess what happens at the end of my movie. There, okay. there is like, <laughs> there is a like Haitian spiritual guidance person, a, a every denomination of Christianity, priest, a nun figure, and just random community members that basically get in a kumbaya circle around these two girls to try to do an exorcism. That's I thought how, you just said you weren't going to spoil the Oops, film. I spoiled the movie. but that, that's how, that's how. It's so late. You literally were just like, I'm not going to spoil but I'm not. I mean, I'm not spoiling like what actually ends up transpiring at the, the, the end of the film, like whether the exorcism is successful or not. But in terms of like how they actually do the exorcist, it's the dumbest thing in the world. So it's not a huge spoiler. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's so, so stupid. So Marin is like, I break the rules sometimes. I drink alcohol. Is that what just happened? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I forget. But I, I, I mean, they're about to like, have a yeah, rough I'll, I'll night. I'll take some brandy. Like I'm about to like get thrown up on and <laughs> like it's about to be what a What number exorcist is this for Marin? What are we guessing here? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we we learned that he, the reason that the, the, the higher ups wanted Marin to coach uh, Karis through this, this whole thing. Yeah. Um, well, look at that huge knitting box that uh, Chris has. But anyway, so uh, it's because he successfully performed an exorcist like years ago. I think it was really only the one that like nearly killed him. And then he basically hasn't done them again. He's like been in, uh, not hiding, but like he's been somewhere remote where he cannot, he doesn't really have to interact with people. He seems maybe he like he's scarred still. He has one mission to to save Reagan right now. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I felt like the obvious trilogy for the exorcist would be a prequel trilogy following Max von Sydow's character. Was it Marin? Yeah. Marin as like a young priest doing exorcist. Like oh. that seems kind of obvious, right? Cause yeah. he, what's implied in his character is that he's just gone through it. <laughs> so yeah. I think that that characterization is well done. So I would love to kind of see that. I know there's an exorcist TV show. There's a few seasons of one. I've never caught an episode. So listeners can let us know what that's about. Maybe it literally is about that. So we're being introduced or sorry, the introduction between father Karis, father Marin and demon Reagan happening i love uh the when lighting he's is kind of ridiculous in this scene yeah i i love when uh marin's kind of like coaching karis that he's like don't discuss anything with the devil yeah he's like um oh also this is like a i don't know the answer to this question but remember that karis was like throwing tap water um on reagan demon before and and it was still like hurting her so this is the question i brought up on the cinematology which is karis what you just said through fake water fake holy water are you about to repeat the question i just well i wanted to i want i'm I'm stealing the question because it's my question it (laughs) was the question from the the movie that we had what I was gonna what I was gonna say was is i didn't want you to i didn't want you to finish it completely was because i got like I, i felt so stupid because who who explained it to us was it I forget who it was on cinematology that explained it to us, but um, I think it might have been Austin. But he was like, "No, the character, the character Reagan wants 
Max von Sydow's oh like okay there. so regardless of the, yeah. the water yeah um the demons trying to get Marin uh to come back yes the demon misses Marin yeah <laughs> mrs Marin. <laughs> it's been a minute it's he a, just wants to hang out only friend on earth yeah um no yeah i think there's an interesting thing of like wanting to defeat Marin. you know like yeah uh but there's also you know all the, these like souls living in are we are we supposed to understand that uh that Karis's mom is in hell it, or is this just like a is this like a where the demon is when she, when you know the demon says like your mom's in here with us like everyone's in here with us is that hell or is that just like a uh so, place where you know quote unquote souls go <laughs> so i think this demon is supposed to be like a uh a little a little bit of a spicy demon you know okay. just messing around with it's people not, it's not the devil so I this is this is my whole thing about the exorcist being okay. actually religiously complicated but also kind of stupid because the de- the demon is a pre-Christ demon. So therefore it is like talking about polytheistic cultures that have their own versions of the devil. Mm-hmm. And so like the fact that this might be a Babylonian or Assyrian demon mm-hmm. of Mesopotamia like does not connect fully to this idea that these Catholic priests would be able to understand its context, its background, how they can defeat it. So my, my idea, my perception of this demon, if we're going to read it and overread it, is that the demon is just fucking with them. Like it is there. It doesn't have a connection to Christ or Christianity gotcha. or, any de- or any denomination. They're just playing devil. Yeah, playing, like I'll be whatever I'll be whatever the, the scariest you part to be. about the demon is it's an unknown. I don't want to know anything about Pazuzu because the scariest part about Pazuzu is that there is like a huge question mark on the character because we already know so much about the devil and like Judeo Christian culture, and so it's it's more of a fascinating antagonist in that way. If it was the devil, it'd be a lot less interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Also, we should just say practically. Um, so Reagan, um, the, the, the like actor is actually like playing, um, yeah, Linda Blair Reagan. Yeah. But the voice is not Linda Blair. So uh, like, apparently when, it's a, oh, 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 sorry. We're going to go into that. I didn't know her name, but, um, but basically I was just going to talk about how like freaking had her like, it, like eat raw eggs and like yeah. drink whiskey and like chain smoke to get the effect of, of the voice. And mm-hmm. which sounds terrible. Um, yeah. But anyway, that that was like basically the practical um, uh, way that they captured the the demon Pazuzu voice. Yeah. William Is freaking, that what you were going to say too? Yeah, I was just going to continue adding on to this like side conversation about maybe William Freakin, even though Rest in Peace made some great movies, made the iconic Exorcist. Seems like a pretty bad guy. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's like that's, not a very complicated thing to say though i do think people struggle to explore that idea in his recent passing and like i was reading a lot of essays on his work and people basically being like he made some of the most important new wave hollywood movies and kind of tried to destroy the studio system from only giving us like formulaic films and really tried to break conventions also did all these terrible things yeah (laughs) and uh i just find find it always fascinating when someone passes who had a complicated past about how like the media covers them yeah Um, very true but yeah in terms of like him kind of co-opting this woman who apparently was 
like uh, an alcoholic and like that experience and trying to like push her back into that space. Oh my God. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently. Okay. See, so this, here, this here's the, the head first, turn you're talking about. You no, know, but this is the, I thought that in the extended edition, we have the head turn. Um, it like the one that we saw before. And then in the original version, we only have one head turn, but I could be wrong. I, um, I love this scene. Like this is the like kind of, you know, uh, fourth quarter of like the exorcism nice. here. And I, I Your love football <laughs> lingo. Didn't I say something else with the football? Uh, did you say uh, a red? You would never say red zone, but I think I you said end zone. Is. I think you said end oh, zone. Ends. Okay. Well that's yeah. Anyway. So we're in the, the final part of the exorcism here. Yeah. Um, and I, I really like, like the practical effects here, like the walls breaking and the doors like cracking and I, her elevating and having the, you know, the straps like come off, but also the, yeah. the water, like, uh, cutting her and like the gashes in her legs. I think like practically it's, well, of course it's all like dated effects. I think it still kind of holds up as a, like a, I, a not believable, but you know what I mean? Like, a no, I mean, it looks good. Compelling image. Yeah. Speaking of compelling, the power of Christ compels you. <laughs> Is that why? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so. So people, okay, like this is interesting to me because um, people like say that this is a scary scene and like I think it's a very intense scene, uh, but I'm, I'm not really scared during this scene and I was always so fascinated because yeah, like she, her eyes are looking crazy. Like she has like white eyes right now and she just levitated, but yeah. ultimately it's kind of like absurd, obviously like this, them yelling these like Bible verses at her. And, um, I don't know. I just, I was so surprised the first time I watched it because I was like, Oh, is this supposed to be the scary part? Cause I'm not scared. I just, it's just very intense to me. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I mean, I said on the Cinemythology podcast that this movie, like as an atheist, does scare me. And I think that uh, one of our favorite science fiction films is Prometheus. And I find that that movie being about how this the search for God stunts humanity, like the exploration of mm. a higher power is what stunts humanity and, and keeps us killing one another is what makes that movie scary in a meta, meta way for me. And I find that about The Exorcist to be true too because what's so ironic about this film is that its horror is that these priests are fighting a battle that they caused because the reason that they're fighting this battle with Reagan, they believe, you know, I think the text is t telling us, what Freakin is telling us, what Blatty is telling us, is that Reagan is a part of a broken household. But that household is an idea of a patriarch household where there needs to be a stable uh, uh, heteronormative family mm -hmm. that is running a household so this daughter can kind of stay in this prepubescent like forever girlhood identity and, and be pure whatever that word means in the religious right. sense and I think what's fascinating about the movie is that it's acting as if the demon is causing these problems for Reagan but it's these fathers and what they're like perpetuating in this uh, organized religion and what it's also perpetuating about the household and what the household should look like and so Reagan without a father it <laughs> that idea that it might be the reason why the demon finds her yeah the only reason she feels conflicted about that is because of religious expectations of what the household should look like and so 
organized religion created the devil. And so like that's the that's the idea of what's so interesting about the exorcism or the exorcist and Prometheus as religious horror films that fascinate me because Prometheus prompts the audience to think, what if you meet God, but God is actually the devil? And this movie is like the same to me, which is like, what if mm. you meet devil, but God created the devil and you are perpetuating the devil's existence like as a as a priest? Yeah. I don't know if any of that made sense, but like that, no, yeah. those two movies I feel like are linked and people might find that stupid because people view Prometheus as like sci-fi garbage and I think they're wrong and we did a whole podcast on that. Yeah. Uh, that's one of my favorite movies of the 21st century for sci-fi thrillers. I think that it as a religious text is really special. And I think Ridley Scott is an asshole, which is why it works. And I think <laughs> similarly, William Freakin is not an asshole. I just think he's not the brightest when it comes to this stuff. And so I think that's why this movie really lends itself to overreading and re religious analysis because the movie doesn't even recognize that the reason that Reagan is like been taken by the demon is because these priests are even, uh, they even have jobs in the first place is the reason why she's been taken by the demon. Um, so I, yeah, I just, the, 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 the kind of inherent contradiction of this film is what makes it like long lasting to me. Yeah, no, no. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, there, there's just, just a scene that I wanted to talk about real quick in terms of, uh, the shot that, that he did. So like Marin was sitting, um, facing one way on the stairs and, uh, Karis was sitting, uh, facing the opposite way on the stairs and they like did a close up of each of the faces while they're talking. It was um, like, so there was depth, mm -hmm. but apparently that wasn't in the original version. Although I remembered it being in the original version. Oh, um, wow. Frightening moment whoa. there. Sorry about that. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. It was just, we just saw Karis went to go see Reagan and then he saw his mom in bed. Yeah. Was, but it but was yeah, like, she was like ghostly basically. Yeah. But, but anyway, he says like, why, why would the demon possess the girl? It doesn't make sense. And Marin says like, uh, kind of what I think freakins and, and the authors like thesis of the movie is, which is that like, well, it's supposed to make us feel like we should lose our faith, right? Like it's supposed to make us feel like we're, I think he says animal and ugly. Yeah. Um, like, th like there's no, like basically we're not worthy of God's love or whatever. Um, but I, but I think that's like basically their thesis of the movie. I don't know if it was in the original or not because you know, I've only seen this like a few times, so I can't yeah. remember, but, um, but I think I, I heard people say that it wasn't, I remember the theatrical cut that they were silent on the stairs. Okay. Interesting. But maybe I'm wrong. Um, William Friedkin said that he didn't want them talking to each other that explicitly because the whole message of the movie, the subtext is the text. And so he thought oh, okay. explicitly saying much. the subtext was the like nose. pretentious, which is ironic coming from Friedkin. That was a really, yeah, wild scene where Karis is like really lose, like he, he's yeah. breaking down because the demon is talking like his mom yeah. and he like can't handle it. But this is like the, this is the worst part of the movie to me right here because Marin is like, Oh, listen, you got to take, take a timeout, go in the next room. I'm going to handle this demon alone yeah. <laughs> that just literally like levitated, broke their straps about like five minutes ago on our last little break and like hit you in the head. Uh, I'm going to just handle this by myself for a little bit. Yeah. Like a terrible decision. Just why would, why would he do that? 
<laughs> he's just, I mean, he dies, you know? Yeah, and it's unclear what's going on with him outside of old age because he keeps taking like small pills throughout the movie. I uh, assumed that it was like some sort of like heart medication yeah, or something. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, just an unwise um Would you do an exorcism for me? From Marin. Would I do an exorcism for you? Like if you were possessed by Pazuzu? Yes, exactly. That is the situation. Okay, I'm just like trying to imagine a world. Um. Yeah, I, I would do I would do anything for you. Wow. <laughs> I uh I wouldn't do an exorcist for you. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> uh that's just a crazy concept. I don't think I've ever heard of an exorcist outside of this movie. It's hard to think back that far into your life. I guess you just recently saw the film, but when <laughs> I I'm thinking back on my childhood, like it's hard to because everyone watched The Exorcist so young. I feel like listening to this podcast, so maybe you're going through the same thing. I'm trying to think, did I hear the concept of the exor- of an exorcist before watching The Exorcist? And I doubt it. I doubt I had heard oh, of it. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess I only knew what an exorcist was because I didn't grow up in like a religious household uh, because of the movie Exorcist. Well, this movie really scared me because I not only came from like a religious household um but also i've been around a lot of religious communities in my youth even though i was like an atheist from like a really young age i was just like self-hating and quiet about that for a long time um up until like my college years and then i uh but i heard people talk about crazy things that happened um in their experiences in religious specific events like tongues and stuff like that and so like seeing this movie as a 13 or 14 year old, I was like, Oh, this shit, this shit probably happens. Like exorcisms like speaking in tongues. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking oh, okay. in tongues. And so like exorcisms probably happen, but like I've never in my adult life ever heard anyone say the term exorcist seriously, which yeah. is just interesting. I, I don't know. know. I, I don't, don't know. know. Um, I mean, we live in such this, a secular society, but this like, was still. the, um, but no, so I, I forgot. I was, I was listening to something where they were saying like that exorcisms like after this movie were like happening more frequently. I don't know how true that is at all, but I, but anyway, yeah. um, but so this was the like kind of turning point in the movie where Karis is like really upset because obviously his like dead mom was just like invoked and, and like talking to him through the demon. Yeah. And then <laughs> the d- detective, yeah, the door, well, he knows something's going on. Oh, he's watching through the through the window. I, yeah, the, the blinds are closed. But anyway, the the biggest scene was like when Doctor or Doctor, whatever. I guess he is Doctor Karis. Doctor and Father Karis um, is downstairs, and he basically is so upset um, that like basically like it within his own obviously like everything that's going on with him and his experiences with losing his mom. Then yeah, uh, Ellen Bernstein's character Chris is like, is she gonna die? And he kind of gets like woken up like back. Uh, snap back to reality where he's like, Oh no, I'm not going to let like your kid die. Right. Um, be, be, and I have this like sense of purpose. So we're supposed to understand that he has this re- like renewed sense of not faith, but like uh, kind of want to help regardless. And then right now when he goes up and he sees Marin was killed by the demon, he is like kind of, he punches him. <laughs> Reagan, like he punched her a few times. Yeah, and he, he uses right Rocky now, Balboa. So he just like uh he's just, like hooks. choking her. He like hit her, but it's weird because she is now going in and out of demon. And I guess yeah, right there he's like 
just take me, right? Yeah. And then a the demon brutal goes death. into him. Just yeah. a terribly brutal death. And throws him out the window. So it's the demon who like just transfers to Father Karras, throws him out the window to his death uh, with like this, the same exorcist stare death, the iconic iconic stairs there yeah and i love the detectives like wait what (laughs) honestly the death of karis is like it kind of it's emotionally effective it is kind of devastating because he just had such a tragic end to his life like he had a crisis of faith he lost his mother yeah and then he and he gave his life so, so this girl could live reagan but like uh you know, well, that, so the, that's yeah, not so as convincing, but the, supposed to his be, life is tragic. Right. Like, so this is supposed to be the whole like kind of message of the, the movie. father message is yes, that. Yeah. yeah. Like that. Well, yeah. F- right, as far as Karis's character, right. He went from a, a point where he was losing his faith, like wanted to uh, get out of his position. And then he, at the end of the movie, worked within the institution to save, like the religious institution to save Reagan, which yeah. is the whole point of that like student protest scene that seemed random, honestly. Um, but then once he saved her, he like regained his faith, essentially like uh, saving her through religion. But I, I yeah. think like... Yeah, he was, he was like found again. Uh, yeah. But I... Yeah, and then his, you know, your queer take, his potential partner slash really good friend uh just held his hand until he died um yeah i guess we can talk right now about like how reagan is completely fine now like she has no scar i mean she has a little bit of scarring on her face uh but she doesn't look like she should look realistically but i think again the movie is kind of it's yeah because her, her face is like so breaking that, apart yeah. yeah this is my favorite part when um uh, at the end here when Ellen Burstyn's character is like, I'm going to miss you to her uh, person who works for her. I think she's like her assistant slash, you know, she nannies. babysits yeah. nannies, Reagan. And Ellen Burstyn's like, won't you like come with us? You know, we're leaving the house. Like we're going to miss you. And uh, she's peace. like, uh, no, I'm, I'm spending not- <laughs> the rest of my twenties in Georgetown. I'm chilling. I don't want to work for you anymore. This was like the worst working experience of my life. You told me um, you can't pay me the next few months because you have so many <laughs> medical bills. Then then the other confusing thing is that she gives uh Chris the medallion that uh Marin's like found at the beginning of the movie that then was like in the dream. Um I don't I don't know if it is a religious token or if it is like something that it is, is a, a religious symbol. token. Yeah. I know but I don't know if it's like associated with Pazuzu or like Oh, the no. demon because Marin finds it at the beginning of the movie. And then it's also in Karis's dream uh, where he sees his mom and the clock stops. Yeah. So I didn't, I don't know what it symbolizes and that could be, you know, some of our um, listeners who have more uh, context around religion. Maybe I'm just like totally stupid and don't know what the symbol is. Isn't it like a St. Paul I forget what it's called. Yeah, I don't know. But so, but anyway, uh, the assistant is like, hey, uh, this was in her room. I'm like, why would you take anything wait, in do her we, room? On, wait, sorry. Did you see that? Like, uh, Reagan just looked at the father's neck guard and then gave him a kiss on the cheek. Yeah. But they could, they did a quick cut to her staring at his neck guard before giving him a kiss on the cheek and getting in the car. Yes, uh, that that was a really, to, a really a important. Very cut. like clear. Yeah. About this is now like she has a father figure now. Okay, yeah. So this 
kind of ends the whole through line of the movie of and really tops it off with this idea that Reagan's life was disrupted and so was Chris's because they didn't have a father figure to run the household. And I think the way the movie's edited at the end, there is no way somebody could tell us that we're overreading it to look look oh, at it that way. Yeah. It seems so obvious that the family's lack of religious belief in God, the father, all that being absent in this little girl's life, it's all kind of led to her having being vulnerable to a demonic possession in the first place. And then it her being saved by fathers, literally and metaphorically, is like the final idea of this movie that they get through and a father dying for her uh, and a father being like a, a proxy for her actual father, you know, is kind of the message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she and kind then, of declares her faith in a way by giving him a kiss on the yeah, cheek too. Yeah. Uh, I think that's definitely what we're supposed to read. And then the the other thing with that medallion that I was just talking about um, that is interesting is like, I think that it's supposed to uh, basically be a symbol of like what had happened in terms of like evil. I don't know though. I don't know if it's a religious like token or not, but it's just interesting because he gives it to Ellen Bernstein's character. Um, yeah. But that's not in the original cut. In the original cut, she gives it to him. So I'm like, does that mean that evil follows her? Does that mean because she has the token or is that supposed to protect her? I don't I don't know. Yeah, so I guess in this cut, wait, did you mention that? In this cut, they give her... Yes, they in give this it back. cut, he gives it back to her and she takes the, the medallion. Um, no, no, but she just gave it back to him. So, no. so Chris just gave the medallion back to him. No, you're wrong. Oh, am I? You're wrong. Yeah. Because I, because in the original cut, you're right. In the original cut, he takes it. Um, but oh. in this cut, he gives it back to her and she takes it. So it's just confusing. Oh, sorry. She was just driving away and then yeah. she, and she dropped it in his hand. Yes. This is the best scene of the whole movie where the detective, like we were talking about earlier says, Hey, do you ever know like what happened in that house? Um, I was really interested in solving this case, (laughs) but you want to go see a movie with me? Uh, Uh, Let's like just leave this all behind us. This these two murders. This guy would just be (laughs) amazed by Detective Loki's skills and prisoners. Uh, See now they're they're holding arms across the street. Love. It's a love story. This is a romance. Great music. We didn't really talk about the Tubular Bells uh, song going through the movie too. This is how this is actually the same font, color, music that they used to end the Exorcist Believer too, which oh, I, wow. I enjoyed. I enjoyed That's cool, hearing it yeah. in the theater and seeing it on screen. The red against black is like really intense. Um, I'm also realizing like I need glasses <laughs> lately. <laughs> I have my glasses on, guys. That was good. I I was a good time. Um. Any final thoughts on The Exorcist? Because it is really late here. And we did, I think we did a good job of like deeply covering this movie, taking it semi seriously, taking it semi as like a joke because there's so much like, you know, campy stuff going on throughout right. the movie. Yeah. Um, I try my best not to overread too much into the religious stuff. Oh, no. I think, I, I genuinely think like that this movie, um, well, I mean, it's weird. I also, I, I just saw it, right? But I've always heard that it's like the best horror movie ever. I have never really um, seen it until I was doing research for this, uh, seen kind of the religious conversations around the movie, which I thought was just like fascinating that yeah. it would have been, wouldn't have been brought up in conversation with it being like the best horror. Um, but immediately when I saw it, I was like, wait, what is this saying? Is it saying what I think it is? Yes. 
Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I um, and I also want to you know say to all of our religious listeners, e- even like our conservative listeners, when we're using like language like conservatism or religion in this film discussion and all podcasts in general, but especially this one, we're using the like the weaponization of these ideologies as the kind of like point of making critiques on these movies and their messages. It seems like when these movies become ideological, uh, like films like the exorcist start becoming ideological and trying to weaponize um, communities and, and um, people's philosophies. That is like when we're trying to pick that apart a little bit and see like, what are the motivations here? Like, how icky is this? And I think this movie is definitely guilty, which I think is why it's such a fascinating, like guilty of those kind of like criticisms. And I think why it's such a fascinating American cultural artifact of yeah. what it represents in a conservative and a religious lens. Um, so I just want to put that out there because I don't want to like obviously um, generalize any anybody who's listening and their own personal beliefs. But I, I, I just think this movie, again, and what it's trying to argue for patriarchy specifically it is just fascinating that it made $400 million and that yeah. to, to with inflation, it would have made billions of dollars. Um, I know it had re-releases, but I, th- I still think in its original release, it made almost 200 million, which would be about a billion dollars today. So it's crazy that this movie would have been Oppenheimer today. Think That's about that. Wild. That's how much money Oppenheimer made. Wow. Anyways, all right. That was the extra credits of The Exorcist and sort of The Exorcist Believer. If you like what you hear, (laughs) rate us, review us, Spotify, Apple. We appreciate any of your kind words on Apple reviews specifically to help us get found. If you would like to listen to our Patreon episodes, the links to the Patreon are in our description. Also, don't forget to answer our horror Patreon episode poll in the description of this episode. Also in the q and I'm sure we'll leave a question having to do with Exorcist or having to do with horror films at large and definitely answer that so all of our listeners can see what you think about horror movies. All right. Well, we did it. This has been Kelsey. And this is Trey. Bye. Peace. Peace.